irony okay. of normalcy. Hey, okay. Javier. What's up? What's up, buddy? Good to see you it's your guys. Second, uh, your second at bat with us. Second at bat. I promise this one will be way better. So Let's Javier hope was, so. Uh, I don't promise that. Was one of our first guests, and uh, we hadn't quite figured out. Well, I hadn't quite figured out the audio properly, um, and because uh, GarageBand is so complicated. But uh, <laughs> I'm sure I would find it complicated. So we we didn't want to we didn't want to put out shitty audio of an interview with Javier because he's a very interesting fella, and. Um, we wanted to do a good interview that you could listen to and enjoy. So we're going to do that. Ron's going to check his fucking stupid flip phone again because he can't ever put it down. No, God I, forbid I you ever had a fucking. It off, actually. If you ever had a fucking, you're going to turn it off. Yeah, because it always rings during our shit. I was so hoping we'd get a phone call from one of your ex-girlfriends again. The so all, the, How's that? all the girls from Massapequa are giving them. Giving yeah. them a bath. I never had a girl from Massapequa. <laughs> Is that sad? That can't be true. Right. That can't be true. Okay, so it was wrong. It was wrong, Konkama. <laughs> I did have a girlfriend. Oh yeah, well, are you, what you got to go straight Suffolk County. I should do a map. I should do a town by town map. Yeah. I see Toro Long Island sexually. Yeah. I think you already have. Ron starts. I'm doing all right. Ron Star Trails. It's literally two minutes in, we're already talking about Ron's sex life. <laughs> okay, let's... I pillaged Suffolk County. That's for sure. <laughs> Nassau, a little sketchy. <laughs> oh boy. Yeah. Well, there was a. Sexually transmitted disease joke in there, but I, I yeah, yeah I go straight for, you don't think there's a band called AIDS Cannon? <laughs> that's great. That's so good. <laughs> that's really good. I mean, seriously, that's great. Wow. Yeah. Sorry, I didn't think of it. Kids will think of any. <laughs> kids will think of anything these days. It's, I mean, I can't believe they get away with it. You know, it seems. Uh, seems it's not. These, uh, I mean, it's, it's there's, tough times. Yeah. There's a metal well, band like called. I'm sure. Well, you, they, you can say anything. I saw that they were playing in the basement at Bazaar, so they have to be. Stuck. I mean, there's a yeah. If it's like there's a there's a metal band from I don't know Greece or something called Goat Semen. So, Go, I mean, but is it goat? Is it does the goat have AIDS? Uh, is really the question? I mean, because if it doesn't have AIDS, then I'm not really. They just transmit rabies or something. I don't know. <laughs> hey, just practice anthrax. Sex. Anthrax. I'm sure goats have less AIDS. Than you. Less AIDS. Yeah. Wow. Okay. <laughs> I don't have the I don't have the statistics Jeez. on that. I, but I mean, well, I'm pretty sure interview's I'll, gone south pretty quickly. Yeah, yeah this is good. That's <laughs> fucking. Let's get into it then, Javier. What the fuck? All right. I, mean, I can't Shoot. drink today because I I drove. So like, I got a nice hot properly. coffee in this thermos. So the brain hasn't worked properly in months. <laughs> that is well, let's start from the beginning. Okay. You were born. You were born in Queens, correct? In Queens, in Jamaica, Queens. Yeah. Um, my sister and I were born there from. Immigrant parents who came from South America and where in South America? Colombia. Colombia. They right. came here. My dad. Are they still in the World Cup. Uh, I know they lost question. to Japan the first. Yeah, they might still be in. I haven't been following to be honest. I don't think it's, I don't think it's been determined yet. I haven't been actually, to be honest, but um, they they did lose, but uh, yeah, so they came here in the '60s, and my sister and I were born here, and that's just grew up in Queens, man, like. Uh, bit in Jamaica around that part around those parts and then uh, they moved to a little bit northeast to an area called Glen Oaks uh, kind of near Bayside a bit east of Bayside and Floral Park around those areas mm-hmm. yes and uh, spent my school years there up until did you go to Bayside High School? no uh, Martin Van Buren oh okay I was going to say uh, Dan Loker yeah, <laughs> yeah. My school was Mike Bullshit, Howie Abrams, 
Michael yeah. and Howie Abrams. Yeah, they were in the same year, I think. They oh, were. No, no, they were actually when they were seniors. I was a freshman. Yeah, I figured. So they're they're a little bit older than me, but I used to see Mike. There's this this really tall, lanky uh, guy with this like really thin pink mohawk. <laughs> this really is like kind of like short was mohawk. Out, was he out? No, no, he wasn't. Out. He wasn't. But and he used to wear like misfit shirts and dead Kennedys, and he's just this like kind of sinister looking guy and um you know i had been into the music already by then but i how did you get into uh another friend of mine from queens uh my friend dave was sort of introduced me to a lot of stuff like a bunch of years before that um dave was actually scary when i first met him he was this um this crazy metal head like he was into like all like the early thrash and stuff and but he had like long blonde hair and wore like denim vest and shit, but like the exploited and and other stuff, uh, Dead Kennedys and and we sort of became friends just from being in the same neighborhood um, in Glen Oaks. And uh, he was just one of the original Glen Oaks boys. Like there was a whole kind of crew of all different walks of life guys. Just like I mean, the one thing they had in common was like like drugs and and alcohol, really. But <laughs> Some dudes were into hip hop. Uh, the thing back then, uh, the big thing was Angel Dust. Oh yeah, I it did was, that once. By I was I was way too young to partake, but, and I'm kind of glad. But so you just you could see people. Oh Angel yeah, Dust, which yeah. There was yeah, a bunch of so, yeah. It looked like they were having fun, but I loved when my friends went dust. I didn't want to do it, but it was it was interesting to be around. Yeah, there was there was one dude who kind of went crazy, and uh, there was a public school. On Little Nick Parkway, PS 186, I used to go to the swimming pool. They had a pool that was public in the summer and right next to the Queens County Farm, which is still there. And it's an institution, like you can go visit it and stuff. But um, this kid uh, went crazy on a a big dust binge and overnight, like when snuck into the farm and slaughtered a bunch of animals and threw them into the pool. What? You didn't write a song about this? Holy shit! Sort of. I mean, no, I didn't. I wasn't writing music then, so. Wow. Yeah, it was pretty nuts. Guessing he got arrested. I think he was arrested. Yeah. Apparently, apparently he got. um, Well, apparently he was accused of sleeping with his sister too. He was a pretty. He was kind of. He was kind of a psycho. This is what we should be interviewing. Yeah. Yeah. Who knows? You're sort gateway to that dude. Yeah, I don't know. It's uh, <laughs> I'm wondering wonder where he ended up. It was yeah, there was a talk of legend back wow, then, so but yeah, yeah I mean, like, I, I think a lot of the the, the whole crew is um, that neighborhood isn't the same anymore. Anyway, it's changed a lot. My mom is still there to this day, so I try to visit her once a week the same in the same place. Yeah, wow. yeah. For you know, my dad passed four years ago, and uh, she just doesn't want to leave still. So. Cool. Yeah, I mean, there's nothing, there's nothing going on in, in Glen Oaks, so I have don't. Yeah. She's the only reason I go. So, right. I mean, oh, there it is. Oh, see, calling? there Who's it calling? is. Let's see. I'm sure it's boring. And then, uh, yeah, it's you know, it's close. It's just a bit south of Douglaston, which is uh, where Jesse Mallon is from. Like, yeah, I, I I lived in Douglaston for. Oh, you did. Yeah. For, well, so I, was, you, I was in bad trip. Did you go? <laughs> oh, that's right. So you <laughs> did you shop at Corvettes? What's that? Did you shop at Corvettes or go to Movie World? No, I, uh, Movie World, yeah. <laughs> Movie World, come on. Yeah, Corvettes. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. you're slightly no, younger. Uh, Corvettes. Yeah, was, Corvettes, yeah, Corvettes was one of those, like, discount 
It was kind of like there was Corvettes and Alexanders. Yeah, yeah, that's like discount like clothing. Yeah, we had an Alexanders at Roosevelt Field Mall. Exactly. I used to get clo- my, I used to shop, my parents used to shop there. Yeah. I used to get all my Kiss records at Corvettes when I was a kid. <laughs> my uh, uncle worked there. I got mine at TSS stores. I used to go to TSS. There was a TSS on Hempstead Turnpike. Yeah. Yeah. That one? Yeah. I, I used to get like Maiden and Maiden and Dio records there. It's not that far. You just go down, you go south on Little Neck Parkway, you make that left, and it's like almost right there. Right over the, right where the Nassau border is of Queens yeah, and Nassau. Yeah, a couple of them. That's a different one than yeah, yeah. Yeah. You're talking about like an Elmont Valley Stream. The Elmont TSS, like yeah. 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 yeah I used to t- when I first got the tape trading, there was a dude who I met. He was like 83. And uh, he lived somewhere over there. And he had, we were like both like 14. So I used to meet him at that TSS to trade tapes. And I'd oh, give him nice. like 10 bucks and he'd give me like Merciful Fate and Exciter like live tapes. Oh, cool. Yeah, that's did, how I got into tape trading. Did uh, Javier, did you go to Slip Disc? I went to Slip Disc religiously yeah. for a while. Um, there was a kid in our neighborhood, Eddie, who had the car. So he, uh, when he didn't have his house speakers in, the, in his back seat. Um, <laughs> he had his house speakers. <laughs> yeah, sometimes he had his house speakers. And in his, uh, what, what, he had like a, Volkswagen, what was it, a Scirocco or something like that? What was that? Like, I don't know what that is. It was like a hatchback or something like that, but he used to put his house speakers. So when he had his regular seats in there and he had room for people, he would take a bunch of us to slip disc. He knew yeah. Mike really well. And uh, I, or and then when I had a bike, I just used to just bike there. And I remember it was, it wasn't, it took about half an hour. That's nothing. Though. So, and this is before, obviously, like computers. So there was, you know, you had to map your way there. Like I yeah, used to I just take, take three trains and then walk three miles. It wasn't easy until my oh, friends damn. got like the license. Yeah, I used to, used to ride in like crazy traffic, and then just there was a one Halloween where I went there on Halloween, which is not the wisest. In oh, those, I actually didn't, but I managed to see a lot of carnage. But I, I managed to to evade all the shaving cream and eggs and fire extinguishers. But uh. I managed to get there on Halloween because I was waiting for uh, the second Possessed album to come out. Cause it, it had been delayed for the artwork for so long, and then it came out finally after months and months. And and I finally saw the artwork, and I'm like, this is what they were. This this is what took so long. Come on, man. <laughs> but I was still so psyched. I got it. You just get, were you just buying stuff to get into it, or were you collecting, or like was? Those are the days where you would go to Slip Disc and or any of those stores, and you would really really look at things and and even just the artwork you know yeah. if it if it grabbed your eye you were just like kind of stoked or that this man this might this is probably going to be was, good or this was particularly special because like I, I felt like they were really good whenever i walked in there they were playing something that oh yeah i had yeah. never heard and i was fucking i wanted immediately yeah, well and if they weren't playing anything you'd be hearing an islanders game pretty much so <laughs> Totally. <laughs> either one or the other so yeah it was, but it was always like I don't know I I wasn't I didn't live anywhere near there and I didn't take the train because I wasn't that fucking crazy but the uh, but when I did start going a lot like I mean CDs were around by the time I was but there was a yeah, slip disc and uh, there was the other slip disc briefly in um, Fort uh, what was it Poor uh, Floor Park no no what was that neighborhood in, on the North Shore Port Washington. Port yeah. Wash- oh, yeah. There was a Port Washington yeah, slip disc, which I went to once, and it wasn't there long. But I, w- I started, when I was going to slip disc, it was, uh, Debbie was her name, who, were, yeah, who played in uh, Summer's Eve. Yeah, the bass player. Yeah. Like, yeah. I, remember yeah. I haven't seen her in years. I saw her about two years ago. We which, by the way, is the greatest name. Yeah, yeah. For, uh, 
crust lesbian punk band. Yeah, that's fucking amazing. Yeah, they, they were. Lesbians, although, I don't think sure. they were lesbians. So Tamika. At least, at least one of them. Yeah, sad when oh, Tamika really? passed. Yeah, yeah, she used to work at Phoebe's over in Bowery, and she was she was cool as hell. Yeah, it's pretty. Phoebe's where we used to drink underage. Before it changed to what it is now, yeah. What is it now? Like it's, it's still Phoebe's, but it's not the same Phoebe. Yeah. It's like you know whatever it is now, whatever the Bowery is now. It's that's what it is. But but yeah, so I used to go to Slip Disc all the time, and uh, you know. That was actually a meeting. That was even a place for like the scene to go, to, not just to buy records. Like I made yeah. friends there, and like you would, you would, you would hear new records there. You would meet friends. Like you get to the point where you'd see the same dudes every week, or you'd recognize a guy from like well, yeah, well, Sunday answer right track in. Right. What was yeah. cool about there, it though? You know? What was cool about it is that it was centrally located, where people did come from Queens and from Brooklyn. Yeah. To go there. So it's the proximity. Well the proximity to all the highways that are nearby yeah. has made it easy if you drove. So. Yeah, it was like right off. The and side Mike was side. always Mike was always just really nonchalant and nice. He was always kind of quiet, but um, yeah, but there was he, no pretension. There was no record store pretension, or like, you know, if you were a new kid, it was like you were totally welcome because you were spending money in a store. And you know. was, it, it was sometimes funny when you'd ask him, you know, "Yo, Mike, is this is this any good?" He's like, "That's all right." So you wouldn't know if you got it or not. It's like, <laughs> I mean, is it all right? Is, is it? Always, <laughs> uh, I mean, now he's like a good friend of mine for like decades, but back then. He helped me. Once he knew what I liked, he would be like, you're going to like this. And exactly. Like, in the right direction. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Or it was like, we would just tell you what the new stuff he got in that week. And Yeah. I remember in ninth grade, my, my, it was my birthday, and my mom, my mom was like, what do you want? And I was like, I want to go to Slip Disc. Exactly. And, I've done that a few times. And I was like, all right, cool. Like, so she gives me $40. She drives me. She drives me there. That was a lot. Yeah, no, sure it wasn't. Was like it was, sorry, it was, it was twenty dollars. And like and uh, is not. It was ninth grade. I remember this. I was probably thirteen, or something. And I went in, and and what I bought. I, I don't remember what record I bought, but I bought the Nuns Have No Fun T-shirt. Oh, nice. Oh, yeah, like, and and I did like, he so print? I did he print those up? What, what's that? No, no, those are legit. Those are legit. Those yeah, oh, I nice. think they were legit. And I still have it. And, yeah, and uh, amazing. And it fucking. I still have mine. I, but I put it. I had you know. I had it in the bag. My mom's like, "Oh, did you get everything you want?" I was like, "Yeah." And I never washed it. Oh, one of those. I was so afraid of her. Like she was still, you know, she would see my laundry. That and hanging and, pole, my mom would be like. But it didn't say. It didn't say nuns have no fun. Naked nun. Naked nun. About to get crucified. Yeah, I was, yeah. I was, she's devoutly Catholic, and I was my mom too. Heavily involved in the Catholic Church at that point. Oh, so well, was like, nice double life. Yeah, oh yeah, totally. That's oh, cool. but that's, I mean, that's normal. I mean, my mom yeah. found... <laughs> it's all the same symbolism and bullshit. My mom <laughs> found one of the old uh, nausea shirts, the one with the upside-down Jesus in the back. And oh, I still have that one. That shirt, that shirt didn't survive. <laughs> Actually, you know, what's a funny thing is that it was cut up into a way that it was used as a back patch on my then-girlfriend's uh, jacket. So oh, cool. it survived that, at least. At least someone got use out of it. But, yeah, I lost, like, a... That's a gem of a T-shirt. T-shirts. My mom was going to make a quilt. Oh. She cut them all up. I still have them. It's a fucking pile like this. It's crazy. But I always think about how much they would be worth if they were intact. The King yeah, Dine stuff. The King Dine stuff. It's like just to make them fix. I was getting bigger, but yeah. I still have them. They're just mangled. You know? Yeah, yeah. My boy bought to mention Hatros shirt, which literally fell off me at some point. Oh, nice. <laughs> my girlfriend wear my shirts periodically because it fits them. You know. Yeah, so I used to go there, and then like you have the slip disc pricing, like their own little stickers where the domestic, the seven ninety nine domestics, and then 
the, there was the import section where they hand writ the prices. It was, like, it was always the expensive ones at eleven ninety nine. Oh like, yeah, that was, you were splurging, you know, for uh, <laughs> for the expensive import and. Boltro or like you know all that German German thrash that only came out yeah. on German yeah. labels like Steamhammer and stuff. Yeah, so it was, but you know. I still remember the phone number. I used to call it so much. I actually remember it just so the Still. It's like eight seven two oh five one six or something. Before oh you had God. to dial five one six. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's yeah. crazy. Well, I had to dial five one six because I was in seven one eight. So. That's true. Oh yeah, you were, you were Queens. <laughs> but yeah, that was a uh, yeah. I mean, it was a great place. And actually, I saw Ron last night at the GBH show, which was great, by the way. Yeah, they were awesome. But uh, we were trying to remember a store that was on Northern Boulevard, right off of Little Neck Parkway. I thought it was Twisted Disc. No, that was that was off of Springfield in Queens yeah, Village. You were a Queens kid, so I get that shit. Off Northern Parkway, Little Northern Little, Little Neck Parkway. Parkway. The place I remember over there was on. I thought it was on the other side of Bell Boulevard, off in Northern. The Queens place I remember a Twisted like, Disc in Numbers. It was uh, if you go up Little Neck Parkway, you get to Northern Boulevard, you make a left, and it was almost like right there, like within the next block or yeah, two. Yeah, I, uh, yeah. To the left hand side, and it I was remember. There for a long time. Yeah, it was, and I got that. I remember like seeing huge posters there when GBH put out actually the Midnight Madness. They had the huge poster like in their window and stuff, and I could, like for the, the life. Subway size poster. Yeah, for the life of me, I cannot remember the, uh, the name of that store. That was GBH. They were, they were really good. Yeah. Yeah, they were really I hadn't seen them actually in a long time. Everyone's, everyone is, and their mother has seen them in the in recent years, and I just have somehow avoided it. Maybe not on purpose, but I just haven't seen them in so long. I think the last time I saw them was with uh, the accused at the Ritz. It was the right? accused in uh, Dag Nasty. So crazy that all those like I think it was eighty seven. Eighty seven. Yeah. It's crazy all those old UK bands fucking still tour. But it's it's apparently it's a it's three quarters original. It's Sort of like yeah. subhumans were the same thing. They never really broke up. And yeah, but they were, they they were they sounded great. Yeah, they were they were awesome. I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah. Nice even abortions. even Johnny Stiffco. Uh, <laughs> I I actually texted him. I'm like, yo, go get killed. Come see Dago abortions. With him. <laughs> Did he call you back? He's never texted me back. He only calls. That's, <laughs> that sounds like it I, sounds I like so Johnny. Someone died. Yeah. He wrote, yo, text me back. Important. Oof. Coming from him, I'm like, oh no. But Twisted what, uh, Disc, Twisted was Disc was also notorious for uh, for their big white power section. So. Oh wow, that's yeah. what was mad sketchy. Yeah, yeah, there was tons of white well, power did, stuff there. Didn't Tyler make an Uncle Phil's section like that too? Oh yeah, we used to break brutal attack records. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I remember we, we used to like snap them over. The uh, what? So what? Uh, what other places like like places in the city? Obviously, you grew up in Queens, so you were going the other direction it's as well. Bleaker Bob's. Yeah. It's only rock and roll, Venus, right? Uh, Venus, uh, free being a bit. Some, some of course, yeah. yeah um, he had a little, he had a few screwdrivers <laughs> records in there as well. But <laughs> it's kind of a thing to have them. Everywhere back then. Yeah, it's yeah, so it was weird the, that they were I just. It was, it was just very nonchalant. It was just very nonchalant. Uh, hey, it's like, hey, so yeah, it's a UK import. <laughs> 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 Might as well just carry them. Well, <laughs> but. I mean, inside the New York hardcore scene, it was like an uptight topic, but outside of that, it was like a non-issue. And nobody yeah. knew who they were then, unless you came from the underground. Yeah. So I, came, I had friends who wore screwdriver shirts, and they, they didn't get fucked with. Yeah. Some did. I know some of those people. Some, yeah, well, <laughs> me and Artie know one or two actually got beat up, but <laughs> that's a different story. There was also uh, a Second Coming. It was, was it Sullivan yeah. Street? That was, was Sullivan. That they they were had they had a decent they selection every now and then yeah if I remember yeah, correctly they definitely did. like the cassette bootlegs and shit 
So yeah, yeah those those are still the, those are the stores I sort of definitely like as much of a like, knucklehead Bob was. Yeah. He carried good stuff, you yeah, know. Of and course, he was just too much money and he was a dick, but he had great Yeah, shit. it became uh, it became sort of a place you go to to either be made fun of or make fun of him. So it's it used to curse me out whenever I didn't buy something. Well, if I came with a bag from another store. Oh, if you heard this shit. Oh my, my ex-girlfriend worked there, and you should hear the shit he used to tell her. Oh, vile, right. man. I went there with oh, my ex-girlfriend. Yeah. He said the most vile shit ever. Oh, he used to say, like, you'd be my dream girl if your tits were bigger. Like, you know, while she's working, like, she's trying to help customers, and it's like... He's so funny. Wow. And, you know, make references, you know, but with, with, with her and his dog, Max... That Doberman. Doberman. That Doberman's the fuck yeah, he used to make fucking bestiality references. Like, guys, he was. Wow. He was, well, he was uh, let's pretty... let's all. Well, Bob is thanking his lucky stars that he, you know. Yeah. He's did, didn't now. open up today. Oh, he'd have no prayer. He'd have no <laughs> fucking prayer. Exactly. He kind of got blowjob from Madonna. He has all sorts of stories, that dude. He's a weird dude, man. I went out with my ex girlfriend, and she was pregnant. We were broken up years before. She was pregnant with someone else, and he knew her. So I guess he has Thank a, God. He grew up in the neighborhood. She's like a Lower East Side girl. So I guess he figured, like, there's no holds barred, like, even more so. Oof. So he's saying how good her tits look while she's pregnant. And she's like, Bob, like, all right, whatever. And then he's like, oh, you must be so wet down there. You must be like a swamp. And I'm like, yo, oh, dude, man. what the fuck? He had, like, no filter. He was out oh, of his wow. mind. Highly and inappropriate. Was, he was, like, walking out. Because he's saying it loud and proud. Wow. And there's like normal people in there, you know? Yeah. He was out of his mind. He had an interesting staff, that's for sure, as well. Yeah. <laughs> pretty knowledgeable people. It was Oh totally, yeah. Pretty yeah. strange characters, but they knew what they were what they were talking about. So I got great stuff there over the years and yeah. the staple of New York for better or for worse. I remember meeting you at Rebel Rebel. Yes. I used I to go there, there as well. Yeah. For for other stuff. Yeah, for you I started know. working there in ninety five. And that store was great. He carried, Ofer carried a lot of uh, like British imports that I liked. Well, that was basically how I got the job. Yeah. Yeah, I liked. Uh, <laughs> by all that stuff. Yeah, by being the most <laughs> ridiculous angle file. It's sad that he's gone too, but I mean, over the years it just became like a, a house music because uh, of the, well, cause of the neighborhood, yeah, we, really. We were yeah. servicing all the gay circuit DJs. Exactly. Which made sense for the neighborhood, and it was really what kept him alive. But, yeah, you know, yeah. the great thing about that store and about that scene was, and I didn't know, when I started working there, it was like major culture shock. It was like, you know, uh, like I didn't know any gay people. Like I'd see them around. I didn't have, I'm sure I had <laughs> friends who were, but they didn't, you know. I definitely went to high school with, yeah, yeah, definitely. I'm sure. I'm sure I knew more than I am letting on to be because I can't really remember that much. But, but, uh, what I watched was the sort of idea of record store owners or people who work at record stores being trendsetters and where, you know, like, you know, they, they, they glance over it in high fidelity, you know, like, like that sort of like, oh, I'm going to put this record on the beta band. I'm going to sell a bunch of copies, that sort of thing. What I watched was like these house DJs would come in. And they'd have a pile of records. Like right? white, a lot of white labels and stuff. All and, the white labels, right. Yeah. So that was the big thing back then. Yeah. And, and they would, like, either they would have a pile of them and give them to Ofer, and he would play them. And it would literally be, like, three seconds of a song. Nope. Three seconds of a song. Nope. Or what, what David eventually di- started doing was he would order things specifically for these DJs, have them put aside in hopes that they would buy them. And then when they would come in once or twice a week, they would play all these records. Yeah. And he basically was, like, and we're talking, like, uh, like 
Uh, what's it, Julio Vasquez or like Junior or, Vasquez? Junior Vasquez. That That's funny that you mentioned yeah. that because I, at that time when I was going there, I was working at the Palladium where he was DJing. He was DJing a lot, yeah. After he did Sound Factory and Twilo well, and all what that. What I so. saw was like this, this, all these big circuit DJs coming in and li- like, like grabbing the stuff that he was getting for them because he knew that that was what was coming and what was going to happen, yeah. you know, was happening. And it was, it's so interesting a guy like who literally was you know 20 15 hours a day behind the fucking counter had a, this tremendous influence where nobody really knew so same with like the guys who worked at footlight and like some of the Fat other Beats places later like, on when hip hop had that yeah, same thing yeah it's, yeah. it's, it's, it's super interesting there. yeah like the yeah. influence that these record stores had on on not only that scene but even on individuals and people who were in bands like i mean the, the amount of famous people that came into rebel rebel to who were re- big record collectors peter buck uh uh uh, Eddie Vedder, uh, Mike McCready, um, fucking Prince came in. Oh, wow. Generation wow. There. Like, did the, Prince have the store closed just for him, or did he actually no. shop with the... But he wouldn't was. talk to anybody. He had, he had, he'd whisper to his bodyguard, yeah. and then they'd say what he wanted. I was a but, customer at Generation years and years ago when he went in. He was with his bodyguard, and he asked for all the Prince bootlegs, and nah. they were, like, nervous. But uh, he bought them all, and he was totally nice. He apparently someone inside his... Inner Circle had stolen stuff. Oh, and put it out. stuff, and he wanted to see what got out and what didn't. Right. So he just bought it. That's funny. That, my into Rebel Rebel was Gary. Oh, yeah, yeah, He yeah, worked yeah. with That's Gary cool. Olson, uh-huh. so he was there at the time, and he was my into that store, and uh, I became friendly with, uh, with, with Ofer, and he, would, he was really cool about holding stuff for me when I didn't have enough money to buy everything, and... and yeah, I was, that was, I was I mean, just was buying the, weird. I was buying different things dude, over cool, there. Like, but how cool was that? I, I mean, I never witnessed that on at stores I went to on Long Island, and like, where like we just we had regulars, and you would, yeah, I'll, I'll take that this week, but can you put it aside because yeah, because you weren't going to be able to get it again. Exactly, like it just wasn't yeah. going to. It doesn't. Exist. It just became a. It just yeah. Once it sold out, it was. You had a slight chance to do a, do a reorder, but but it might have been out of print right. or something. Yeah, and you, there's no there was no definites to any of that shit. Like we would, I, I would see his order sheet every week, and like. A lot of times we'd get half of what he ordered. Yeah, and it, it, dude, and what, what's amazing to me, like I know, I used to have to bring the money to the bank, so there was a lot of money going through, but he really didn't up the prices that much from what the retail from like the oh, like his from, markup was low? his markup was not high, and and was you know people would bitch and complain that about. Point? What's that? Was his rent reasonable at that point? Yeah, he had been there for a long yeah, time. He, he had, he really had long lease. Yeah. He had good rent for a while. I I would imagine so. It just became it just became really cluttered in there well, it throughout order, the years. Yeah, I mean, like it. He he refused to sell stuff online, and so like it just it just gathered and gathered and gathered. Where it got almost like it's a fucking fire hazard. It was like walls of like the thing in the basement. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> oh, since we're on that side of town, there was um, actually went to high school with a kid that worked at the one on Jones Street. What was that one? Right off of West Fourth. Was it Footlight? No, it wasn't Footlight. There was uh, another one on Jones Street. Revolver? It wasn't no. Revolver. Revolver was upstairs, right? Yeah, that was the uh, second floor. Oh, man, yeah. I, it's just going to bug me that I'm not going to remember the name. But I went to high school with a guy, and he had, at right at graduation, his name was Brian, Brian Greenspan. He had, he was a cure freak. He had about 600 official cure releases. Wow. Like, from, like, every country that they yeah. release stuff, every, like, 7-inch or... Weird yeah, sort of doesn't exist anymore. Yeah, I'm it sure. In every country. Yeah, I, I used to be obsessed with it. Yeah, I, certain bands. I he had me. every like cure thing that would come out. Every like picture disc, every whatever it came out, he would have it. 
But um, also over there was uh, that was good for a while. It was subterranean. Oh yeah, yeah. That it was on Cornelia cool. Street. Yeah. They had really good stuff there. Yeah. It's, uh, um, what was it? What was the place I was just thinking of? Uh, fuck. Oh, Kim's was over there too. They were Kim's because Ga- Gary worked there too. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I remember that. Actually. And at the one on um, uh, was it Bleecker Street? Kim's Underground. That's where the the yeah, dudes who. The, the over world, by LaGuardia. Yeah. Yeah. Over by LaGuardia. Those are the guys that's the, when Chris was there, he started other music after that. Right. And him and Jeff quit. They opened up other music, which is which was another 20, awesome store. 20, yeah, everybody complained about the prices. 21 years ago. I mean, it's just, yeah, people love to complain. Towards the end, I wasn't crazy about other music. It was just, they were just, obviously they were trying to sell stuff they needed. They had, their rent was insane there, so they had to, yeah. They were selling popular Look stuff. They were selling popular stuff. Yeah, they were so Tower Records. And they did they did well for it though. Yeah. For for twenty oh. years. They lasted well, twenty I years. Mean, but look, look at in theory, it's it's fucking smart because you got all these people coming to that area to go to Tower. I mean Tower was like a place you met. Say, hey, let's meet a Tower. Okay, cool. Yeah. Like Barnes and Noble became eventually. And like the the uh and it was and right it's just all these people who want to buy records are coming to that area, so t- taking advantage of it completely, and it's it's actually brilliant because Tower, so Tower they, they didn't have Tower didn't stuff, have the they didn't have the same shit. Yeah. So you know, it was like I think Tower tried to keep up a little bit with it, but others like they you were know, three I, levels lower. Other also had fans. They had people who just fucking went there. Yeah. No, I'm not going to buy that at Tower. I'm going to buy it at other because I want them to stay in business. Yeah. You know, and uh, uh, again, other was another place that put stuff aside for people and did all that shit. Like oh, it's yeah. just, it's it's uh, I you know I don't want to sound like an old guy or cliche, but I feel lucky that I grew up around that because it's Same. like it no, it made music important. It made music worth something. Whereas you know, like now it's so disposable and. It doesn't really mean that much, but like there was also a connection. It was like more. It had a community base than. Well, it was huge. Yeah. yeah, I mean huge. that was most of it. Yeah, it was like you talked about the shows you and went we mentioned saw some and records. I mean, if you think oh, yeah. back to the that whole was person, that was some records was home base total community. Yeah, like the day a demo came out, they're the only store that got it. Yeah. Maybe Bleak or Bob would get some, but it was like if you were looking for flyers for what was going on or just to run into your peers. That's where you went. I mean, that was it. Just like Slip Disc was for Long Island. Yeah. There was no... But I also used to go to this sh- this shabby little hole in the wall in Queens called the uh, Music Box. I never heard of that. That's the, like a townie spot? No, that was uh, off of Utopia Parkway. That was uh, that was the guy that started Stews on 7th Street. Oh, okay. Really? I don't know. But it was like... That's where I used to get copies of Kick-Ass Monthly. Nice. And he used to sell those there, and like I mean, that's where I first got Ride the Lightning, and like and those records. The crucial metal stuff for the early. Have years. you been able to hold on to all your stuff? No, no. definitely not. And no. now it's like I know because you travel a lot. You so can't like I mean I still have a collection that's in storage right now, but like I'll be honest, like I go to a record store now, I do struggle a bit. Yeah. Uh, my patience, like it's not, it's just my attention span is has sort of veered from, from that person that used to just go all the time and had the patience to look through stuff. Every now and then I get the urge and I'll, I will go and... It's a mood thing, for sure. It definitely is a mood thing. And when I'm in that mood, it's great. When I'm not, I'm like, fuck this. It's, just it's tough now. I have everything that I've ever... Like, well, okay. Ron definitely has everything that... Well, I work at a record store, so I definitely don't have everything. Because when you work in one, you see you stuff see the come stuff, in. You see the stuff, yeah. Like, oh, my God. Dude, your house, is, your house is going to fall into yeah, a sinkhole like, soon. You know, in the last four days, like, you know, I don't have, like, white label promos or, like, the first Stooges record. These things, like, walk in the door and you're like, oh, my God. 
Like I've never seen one. I bought Diary of a Madman on the street the other day because I realized I didn't have it. That's a that's a that's a good <laughs> purchase though. Two dollars. That's a score, man. That's a good per that's a good purchase. And uh, we sold this over rock and roll too, which I was like. I love Sabbath best subs. Was it like a street junkie or like? A no, it was. Uh, it was uh, my neighbors. They're in. Uh, they're in that band, Chesty Malone, and the Slice oh, Em Ups. Yeah. They. Uh, they. They live a couple of doors down from me, and they. Oh, they book Lucky Thirteen and. Yeah. Okay. And, uh, Jackie works there and stuff. Yeah, it's a. Uh, it's a. Uh, it was just like I. I saw she posted that she they were having a, like a yard sale. I was like, oh, sick. So I went up. And, let me go see what they got. <laughs> but unfortunately, Anthony, the the guy, um, is fucking massive. He's like six foot six or something. So all these cool old shirts, I was like, yeah, yeah, no, it's not going to work. Unless, you know, oh, like make it a dress. Yeah. I mean, like, where do you guys go now if you just came into town to specifically go to a record store or someone asked if you? I'm not going to work. I guess I go to, like, Academy. Okay. Yeah. Oh yeah, Academy. I, mean, I, I go to Record Grouch because it's right well, yeah, here. Well, yeah, Record Grouch is cool in this neighborhood, right down the block. Yeah, I'm I'm constantly looking for old prog records, and Record Grouch is really really good for that. Yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah there's a the store. Them, but. There's a store that's, um, I guess, in between the Manhattan and Brooklyn Bridge, in, on the Manhattan side, that apparently has a really. A, it's not Black Gold. It's like two bridges, maybe it's called or something like that. Or in Dumbo. No, on the Manhattan side, apparently. Oh, the Manhattan side. Oh, they, huh. they sell like a weirdo kind of collection over there that they sell. I haven't been there yet, but I heard it's uh, pretty good. It's weird. It's like pr- the prices are so like, I mean, when I was right. buying vinyl in the 90s when it wasn't cool to have vinyl, you could get shit for nothing. And it was like that was the best 99 time. cents. And it was like the, the best part about it was like I would just buy tons of shit I'd never heard. Is like maybe I'll like it, maybe I won't. Who cares? I spent a dollar. Yeah. yeah, you know, it's like it was fucking awesome. I mean, I bought a lot of garbage, but you know, sound effects records. And shit. Somehow, I, <laughs> I I end up buying like a lot of stuff that my friends put out, and you know those uh, those guys in Thou, man, they're, they're so prolific with their stuff. It's almost hard to keep up, but um, but they they always do. They're they're heavily into putting out their vinyl, and they're dedicated to to still doing it. And Brian is, you know. He always he's always cool about making sure that I have I'm keeping up to date with what they're releasing. So they just put something else out a few months ago. Didn't yeah, they they got like two EPs. Well, it's a smart it's out. a smart way of doing it. I mean, like the the whole and they tour a lot. They have a DIY. Nobody buys CDs. Ethic. You don't make any money from digital, and you can kind of build yourself a, a cool like if you have like say you have five hundred people who are going to buy your vinyl, like. If you're putting out cool stuff consistently, they're going to look forward to it. It's going yeah. to be an urgency to it, which mm-hmm. is cool. You know, I, and if you well, go on tour, it's always, you always have everybody. To sell. I mean, everybody want like you know, like nowadays, like you see the new Yob record, like fucking beautiful. I, you know, like, I have crazy. to get a copy. Yeah, yeah, it's fucking mm-hmm. ridiculous. Which is, you know, that's great because there are there is a niche element to people who still buy records and they. It should be something really special to spend. Th- you're well, going to spend don't thirty need bucks records on it. anymore, so you have to make it. You're appealing to someone who either wants to hear it on vinyl or wants a package because right. anyone in the world can I, download it. You know, man, I, so. I'm real like fucking. I I don't love listening to new records on vinyl if they weren't recorded. Like I, my whole thing for all my vinyl collection that I have at home, it's anything that was recorded with the intention of it being released on mm-hmm. that on vinyl. Format. Because, yeah, because, like, once you got into digital recording and they're printing it on vinyl, it's bullshit. It's not recorded for that. 
and that you should get it in the format for which it was recorded because that's the one it's going to sound best on. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's like, I think, I, don't know. Steve, I think a lot of, most of Steve Albini's recordings always sound great on vinyl. Was most of what? Steve Albini's recordings because he still records analog. Yeah, yeah, right, yeah, exactly. exactly. I mean, like, it, again, like, there is an intention, you know, there. Like, I just feel like, like stuff, especially stuff that was recorded in the 90s, it's just and not it, worth and getting. And what it was online. mastered for is also crucial. Right, exactly, yeah. You know, I remember in the 90s, like, bands like Sonic Youth, that were, bands were trying to keep vinyl alive and put a bonus track on vinyl, and they were mastering specifically for the vinyl. Because they, they were putting more of the effort into the vinyl than the CD. Right. That was kind of getting mass produced. It's great. Out. It's great to put that extra track on the vinyl only because it got yeah, people to really want the record. Right? Yeah. It's a genius, the, genius that's idea. That's, that's how everyone got taken away from vinyl was the bonus tracks of CDs and the convenience. Exactly. Right, other bands did bonus tracks on vinyl. Oasis did that. They yeah, did, a lot they of did did the early they, 90s they, when vinyl was dying, that was like, like the fuck you to the industry. It's like, no, we, we like this form. Right, the CDs is easy to do because you could fit 75 yeah. minutes worth exactly, of music. Exactly, yeah. But like, yeah, you want to... But it also like, changed the game for the works because then people thought records had to be an hour and then records had filler. Oh, and yeah. Records were best, I think, between 35 and 45 minutes. Yeah. In like traditional music. I also in think, that, I also think that that's why that's also why records started like coming out every three years. Like bands would like the, the amount of time yeah. that they spent in between it with writing because they needed to put fucking fifteen songs on it, which is yeah. ridiculous. And like, the cost of and the cost of recording. The old long. the old vinyl format was thirty six minutes. Yes. I believe that was the that was the max. It was. And that's the perfect length for a record. Nothing should ever be longer than that. You know, it just doesn't make any sense. The grooves get too shitty, so it doesn't sound right anyway. I mean, when like, Power Slave came out, it was a big deal because of how long the record was. Yeah. That was a really long record for the time. Which one? Power Slave for Maiden. Oh, yeah. But, you know, the songs are fucking long. Yeah. Got Rhyme Age of like, like, That's a third <laughs> of the record, at least. So, so you know. Yeah. It's, uh, I don't know. So what, so what was the what was your lead-in into actually playing music? Um, I had been jamming with uh, some friends in the... In, in Queens and uh, kind of just messing around that I hadn't really learned how to play bass properly. At what age is this? Uh, must have been around, I'd say around 16, you maybe 15. Into I was into both. You know, yeah. I, I was always that kid that, you know, if my, if my head, hair was cropped, I was still listening to Slayer. It didn't matter. I wasn't confined by any of that nonsense. I mean, obviously yeah. there was a whole. That was all around us, though. It was For definitely all around us. Yeah, I mean, people that looked like them a week before. I <laughs> in high school uh, in, at Van Buren, I had a close knit crew of friends, and some of them were metalheads. Right. You know, I had the kid Chris. Uh, Chris Majuli was a King Diamond freak. You know, he was he was a weirdo, but and this other kid Chris, who you know had his creator creator pleasure to kill leather jacket you know so and i was wearing uh agnostic front t-shirts and whatnot what so it didn't we we all hung out and it was in a town that works fine when you enter the scene world you realize those people want to kill each other yeah yeah it's funny on my in my high school yearbook which i i think i threw out not too long ago but um <laughs> there was this kid uh troy langone who was like he was like a metalhead but he was like into like like omen and like Bathory and like all that stuff back then and we were friends and I, I had a shaved head in high school and he would just like I think in my, in my yearbook he just wrote it's you know been great being in school hair rules he, like, he wrote hair rules in my yearbook and I was just like <laughs> pretty funny yeah, man Troy Langone did, did, did Troy turn you on to that stuff? 
uh, to some bands, yeah. yeah. I, I think Omen actually turned me on to Omen. Like that, you know, that, that album, really Battle Cry, was yeah. like really good. I remember, I remember when I was introduced to Bathory, and it was like definitely one specific person who was like this crazy black metal guy. We were like, what? What is this stuff? We don't know. Oh what yeah. This is. And he like, and he like, you, you gotta hear this. This is the greatest thing that I've ever heard. And he couldn't stop talking about Quarthon or how he was gonna have his own. He lived in a trailer park, by the way, in Amityville. His kid. Like, wow. And, and he uh, and like he's like, I'm gonna be my own one man band. And I'm gonna be just like Quarthon. And like, and I was just like, back then that was weird, not weird, popular. Yeah, but... adventurous as hell. Oh yeah. He, he, like he just looked like he was gonna kill his whole family though. Did he? <laughs> Where is this guy? He was—I uh, don't know—he was friends with Ed Reyes. Oh, he was. Yeah, yeah. And we, like, and we would we would go over to the trailer, and he would like fucking we'd play guitar and like hang. When out. I show you guys his kids, was he part of your crew? Like, no, he wasn't. George? No, he, he was—he was, was a total loner. This kid. Yeah. <laughs> Something fucked up happened with him. I have to ask Ed and Paul Brinkman knew him too. Uh, I used to live in the trailer park and George. in Amityville, and his band was bad. There's only there's very few. Life was Long Island. Life was. Is it the one next to the Sayonara? Yes. Yeah, that's yeah. the spot. <laughs> I had a friend in there. I had a friend in there, and I had many ridiculous nights. That sounds. Sayonara. That sounds grim. Oh yeah. Wait, you but, were banging at the Sayonara? All the time. Oh my god. Oh, that was the best spot. You Three could hour hotel. It's like Q Gardens Inn. But you could destroy that place, no questions asked. Like blood, urine, they didn't give a fuck. How, How many hours do you need? need? Uh, at least two. Uh, yes, I was. I was. I was jamming kind of. I was jamming in Queens with just like my friend John, who played guitar, and John ended up playing in uh, in SFA. Oh, early John on? drummer Johnny Og, uh, John Lopez. Um, we would just kind of just just do funny. We had this for a little while. We had this um, in Glen Oaks, to, or actually it was in Belrose. This. Uh, it was this basement under like a Jerry's Artorama on Union Turnpike, and we had to we could we can go in there at all hours of the night and just make a racket. So we just had That's these great. like we had these like kind of like phony bands and just like record tapes and it was just a racket, yeah. So I kind of learned a bit how to play there, and then um, I don't know how it came to be that uh, I was asked to play in uh, Our Gang. Um, I was asked and I just said yeah and I wasn't that good or anything I was kind of still sort of everything was learned by ear and stuff um, and were they I, heavy musically or were they at the same point definitely um, the, you know yeah the guitars definitely were ahead of me they had been playing for the longer stuff actually the whole band had had been so but I caught up pretty fairly quickly you know by the time it was uh, to record with them and stuff so um, just kind of just that's I'm sure I'm not the only one who can say that about how he started or he or she started. So, oh yeah, I'm yeah, sure there's a lot of a lot of stories. Balls. Exactly, you know, you just pick it up and just do what you can. And I ended up just sticking sticking to it, and I just kept at it. So I was probably better then than I am now these days. I've <laughs> been touched the bass in quite a, quite a while now. Yeah, it's kind of you're not playing much anymore. At the moment, I'm not. No, I I, I do want to rectify that, but. Um, this, I'm still talking to some people about, actually just fairly recently, talking to someone on the West Coast about hopefully at least just doing a recording project, and she sounds like really down to do it, so, cool. yeah. So from our gang, the Born Against, was there anything in between? The, a very, very brief uh, few rehearsals with Slaughter, with a... Uh, you and Slaughter? Yeah, yeah, very briefly with uh, Ralphie and Neil. 
I saw Slaughter a couple of times. I think right Did after, right after, no, I didn't. Right after John and Roy uh, had been in, in them for a while, but I guess Nausea was starting to do too much, so yeah, they couldn't I think continue. They were doing it when I saw it, it wasn't. So the, the drummer was always changing. I think they had rhythm section issues because it just yeah, was a revolving door for a while. The rehearsals were kind of funny, bumps. just hearing Ralphie and Neil arguing, and <laughs> and it was Mike on guitars, which was always cool because uh, uh, Mike, it's Mike Smegma. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and he lived in Queens, so after rehearsals, we were at Boo Studios on 23rd Street a lot, and uh, he would just give me a lift back to Queens, so it, was always, it always worked out. But um, I think for a bit we had uh, Jimmy Haas on drums, then we had like, like Mike Huckleberry play drums for a bit. It's just... I think at that point it was just like we're going really deep in the New York punk here. I'm sure. The yeah, that's okay. You, I mean, yeah, I just mean, reference what they went on to do, or if they're alive or not. You know, well, they're all alive. Yeah, well, Neil was Neil had been singing in Nausea. Ralphie's. I saw Ralphie last night. He's Ralphie was in Jesus Christ. Jesus. Disassociate. Yeah, and he's getting disassociate back together yeah, again. Mike um, Huckleberry's somewhere in Queens. He's he's around. Yeah, he could, you know, I haven't seen him in ages, but, but yeah, so, um, and from there, uh, somehow it was, uh, it was Daryl Kahan who had been hanging out with Adam Nathanson and, um, you know, obviously we knew, we knew him from Life's Blood and stuff. We had, uh, when I was in our gang, we did a show with Life's Blood in, uh, in the basement of the Lismar Lounge. It was that show, uh. It was our gang, Life's Blood, SFA, and Project X. <laughs> wow. Which is pretty, a pretty weird lineup. That's a great yes. lineup. Yeah. It was, it was, it was, I remember it being a fun show. And that, was Project X at that time, was that like a big deal? No, they only did a handful of shows. I know, no, they, I know they did, but I, they were all coming because like, the youth crew thing was such like... You know, the show was crowded, but it was like... I mean, you could still... It wasn't like uncomfortably crowded. It right. was, you know, it was, you know... Yeah, they had a following for sure. But um, from there, I had um, Life's Blood had been rehearsing at a, well, like who didn't rehearse at Giant Studios back then um, on 14th Street? It was like the spot, you know. But um, Born Against had started, Born Against were rehearsing there um, with Neil when Neil was still on bass and Nigel on drums. And uh, Nigel had quit. This is the guy that was on the demo. And I think he was on the, Murders Among Us track. Father, is it yeah. Father knows best. No, uh, the Good Father. Good Father, right? Yeah. And that's uh, so that's the chorus of the song. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, he quit, or I don't know if he was quit or kicked out. I can't remember. And Neil uh, had also left the band, and uh, somehow Daryl had found his way in. I don't know how Daryl started jamming with Born Against, or and then he pulled you in, and then he knew that I, you know. He uh, he just asked, he he we met at Giant Studios and he had a Born Against demo, and uh, and asked me to come over to Giant Studio. We arranged uh, actually a rehearsal and with Adam and Sam. And I went one day and I had practice from the tape. I just played at home. I just sort of just played along to the tape as best. The tape was really a shabby recording and it was uh, hard to to he- decipher a lot of what. Neil was doing, but I somehow got the gist of it and, and I went to rehearse with them. And um, I think just after that one rehearsal, a couple hours, Adam was just like, okay, well, yeah, 
you're in if you want. <laughs> so that was that. And I started playing with those guys for a bit. No, at that, at that time was like, because Life's Blood to me, like fucking amazing is, you know, short yes. as they were. To still, to this day, there's that seven inches probably it's still one of it's my favorite. Uh, it's perfect, man. Like it's just, yeah. it's a perfect mix. And Adam has always been like, he has this mysterious ability to write really catchy riffs and, but like still keep it like, it's like very distinct, uh, distinctly punk. I think his influences really showed in his playing and his writing and stuff. I mean, obviously, um, a big one was Articles of Faith. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And and some void. They were a little more melodic. He took that melodicness. Right. But that's, what, that's what I'm saying. But it was, yeah. it was that that style. That style, totally, and a little bit of void with the feedback and like that's the, the jankiness. In, yeah. Right. But in Life's Blood, it was more straightforward. I think. You know, I think it was definitely sounded more hardcore punk. Like right. it was definitely like. Sounds more like the 82, yeah, 85. Yeah, Born Against was more evolved. Yeah, Born Against was way more, way, way more evolved, depending on who was playing drums. <laughs> I just love that recording. <laughs> yeah. That Life's Blood recording was just, the, the, the recording itself was just like, yeah, I love how awesome. the drums sound. Like John's drum sound is... It's so raw. Where face. was that done? I, that was Don Fury. Was it done? It probably was. It had I'm to have been sure done, Don Fury. I own the board that it was done on. Huh? I own the board that it was done on. Wow. Sitting in my room. That was uh, <laughs> <That's awesome>. everything <laughs> that was recorded from 1987 to 1989, I believe, is what he told me. I'm glad I got in both the it. both of the bands I had been in in Our Gang and Born Against. We got to record Don Fury, so it was it was always good to to go see him. Um, I, th- I mean, like, but your bass tone on that, the stuff that we did with Don, which was the seven inch, the first seven inch, the two right? seven inches, the two seven much heavier it it was yeah well, like like it it, it, it just had yeah it had this noise element to it that was just so like and it was incredibly prominent which for that style of music usually bass was kind of buried in the background it was like not really thought about that much i made sure that i, I didn't want to be buried so yeah well but also just the tone of it and the fact i mean there was no second guitar player so you weren't getting crushed by by that but so it was like, like mike dean like animosity coc like the bass pushes through I, I just like yeah. what was your influence to that tone was there anything or did you just plug in you're like oh this sounds fucking sick I love being loud I did have influences I mean I obviously obviously Motorhead's always an influence okay even that, though he, well that totally makes sense even right? though he played <laughs> even though he played uh, through guitar amps but um, I mean I always loved the, the bass sound on Victim in Pain even yeah. even though for me it was a bit it was it lacked a little bit of Bottom end, I I I, I totally love the the fuzz on the the Victim and ba- Victim and Pain what, sound. What I, fuzz? What fuzz pedal did you use? Back then, it was basic rat. A rat. Yeah, cool. it was a rat. And then I eventually got another rat that was a, a modified rat. Um, I think when I played for the album recording, which wasn't done at Don Fury's, but um. So you you were straight Jesus Lizard, dude. That was it. <laughs> but he recorded. We didn't. I didn't do the uh, the way they recorded though. There was uh, the clean. The clean and the and right, the fuzz DI track, the fuzz, yeah. so that we hadn't progressed to that at that point. But fine, Whatever. but um, but <laughs> but the addition of John Hilt, so that whole, that whole Jesus Lizard aesthetic did come more into the fold. But that, for the sure. rat, the rat through a GK eight hundred is like the David Sims, yeah. You know, like like sound, and it, in all honesty, like you know, I, I'm trying to put time periods together, like. It's hard for me to really think of too many bass players who had that extreme of a sound. 
You know what I mean? Like it was, it was like for my ears as a kid, and Born Against was one of my favorite bands, if not my favorite hardcore slash punk. I don't really consider them a straight hardcore band. No, we weren't. But was... the the uh, it was probably my favorite of all time, and it's like. When I listen to, I listen back to it. I'm just like, this is so fucking far ahead of its time. The sloppiness is just sloppy enough. It's kind of perfect. the The, the lyrics are top, topical, but like, at, and and timeful. But at the same time, like, you could still listen to it now, and it's you could still find something that that's useful on on that side. But like, Adam's riffs, your bass tone, just there was just something about it that I think a lot of people have tried to recapture and never really been able to but you know it's but like I listen to a lot of UK stuff so if you listen to early like Extreme Noise Terror and Ripcord okay, I heard yeah. that kind of a but that's what I'm saying is that that tone is like the music well, I was, I was listening to like a lot that. of that especially yeah. like when Daryl was in the band Daryl and I were the ones that veered towards a lot of that UK stuff as well I mean I mean Did obviously sound I heard but being played like through an American hardcore like filter I mean I love even the sound if you can if you can picture it in your hear it in your head is the the, the Crucifix album you know oh, like yeah. like Matt Baruso to me was like a great punk bass player like, yeah I mean he's it just which was a huge influence on Adam actually too that Crucifix yeah oh yeah and um, it was just that band had a, our influences just as a band you know was just really varied and I think it, it definitely showed um, but I, I listen to the 7 Inches now and I think Eulogy, it was definitely fuzzy, but like it had more bottom end than the seven inch itself. I feel like Eulogy is probably yeah. one of the best sounding born again songs, yeah, like recording wise. Yeah. yeah, I'm it's actually, I prefer the vinyl mastering than to the recent, well, it's not recent anymore, the but the, the when they reissued and they redid it for the reissues, um, they cut a lot of uh, of little, little inter, like they added all these weird interludes, but like. Things were changed from the vinyl to the CD reissues. Um, especially at the end of Eulogy, there's a a bit of a little EK little Krishna mm-hmm. thing at the end, oh, that's right. which you don't get on the CD on the CD I didn't reissue. Think about that. Um, I still listen to the seven inch. So. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I don't you get that on the seven inch. We don't get that on the. What was the the songs on the Flexi Alive with Pleasure? Live that was, that's, that's a, a fucking, split. I that's fucking love that. Song. Yeah, that yeah. song fucking That rolled. was the final song I did with them. That was Is it the really? Last. Yeah, that was the... Well, where was, was that recorded? That was done also at Fun City, where the album was recorded. Okay. Wharton Tears mm-hmm. recorded the album. It was... Isn't that August. also the... It's not the anti-smoking, but that's when the Gulf War was it's started, the, right? You know, it's it's got, like, we won. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it was a spoken word in the anti-smoking. Yeah. Uh, obviously, uh, what was that? Newport? A lot of pleasure was Newport? Yeah, Newport. Yeah, yeah. So it was a spoof on the Newport. Right. But, uh, but um, I still we... still got it. It's not in great condition. <laughs> <laughs> we uh, rec- decided to record there because, uh, you know, we as a band, I think as a whole, we were hugely influenced by the first Helmet record. And, and upon hearing that, that drum sound, it was just like, oh my God, this is just like... It's we just him gig- and he's a beast. gigantic drum sound. Yeah. And uh, we just saw it was recorded, and we um, we managed to call Wharton, and uh, he was excellent to work with, too, when he was on 22nd over by First Avenue. And uh, that's you go in there, and you see, like, all the stuff that he's put out, and it's, like, in a whole different range of, of musical, like, of genres, you know, not... Yeah. When you go to Don Fuhrer's, obviously, the it's... 
it's well, monumental specific. what he's done, you know. But this, and you go to Fun City, and it was like Dinosaur Jr. and Sonic Youth and Helmet and uh, and all that stuff. It's funny because I had the same exact experience with Martin Bc. Yeah, and like oh, he's like another legend, another classic. Yeah, another <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I know Jason who worked with Mar with Martin for a long time. Jason Lafarge. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but um. It was just a, uh, it was just a whole different experience working with Wharton. It was just, it was not that it was better or worse. It was just different. The way you know, I still went through a rap pedal, like still had the basic setup, but this time I used a, a full Yamaha cabinet that I'd never used before, which I just, it was sort of like an SVT style Yamaha that I'd never played through, and it was still playing the Rick. It was still playing the Rick, and it was just like a, I. It, I dialed I dialed my tone in within like five minutes. And it just like <laughs> and it this, didn't change it. I hope this sounds good. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And, that was, uh, it, that's so funny because that's that's something that happened in the late eighties or early nineties, and then recorded. went away. And now now it's like totally back. I just I just recorded two albums and literally didn't change my tone at all. Whereas it used to be like painful, like let's use this amp and let's use this guitar. And it's like. No, fuck it, man. Who cares? Just fucking fuck it. It's like, if the song's good, I don't fucking give I mean, a I'm shit. I'm kind of like, I have a lot of friends who are really into their gear, and I have total respect for that. I just, that's a whole other universe. That's like, you know, if I started to collect comics now, like, you know, pedals and amps. And I mean, I love, like, instruments and all that. And, I, you know, if I could have more basses, I would totally go for it. I would, if I had the money to buy a lot of stuff, but, like, pedals and, you know, re and now that it's digital, too, like, I'm like it's it's all gone past me kind of to to a certain degree. Yeah. I I would probably revert back to like the older way of how it did things. The simpler yeah. way. Yeah. I mean influences like besides Lemmy were also like even Peter Hook and uh That one's less obvious. Yeah, no, but he played I, mean, I hear it. Actually actually for a bass player of, of that ilk to play up high which you did quite a bit is way it was actually I can see that I would I wouldn't have thought it obviously because I didn't know who Peter Hook was in 1990. I was a huge New Order fan though, so I yeah and obviously enjoyed Division as well. Dating but the right girl to be introduced to things yeah. that were actually like right to listen to, <laughs> as opposed to King Diamond, Merciful Fate, over and over again. <laughs> but, but um, yeah, I mean like for that record, uh, it was just within a few minutes I knew the sound that I, I gotten the sound that I wanted. And and that Adam was totally stoked on it as well. So I think the end result for that was was really nice. And uh, that's a classic record. I, yeah, I, know, I mean, I know, and it holds up. I know Nausea did their last seven inch there as well. Is that Cyber God? No, oh, Life Cycle. Right? That was oh, done yeah. there. Yeah, which was just with Al. It wasn't with Amy. So it's right. they recorded that there as well. It's great. He, I mean, I don't know what Wharton's doing these days, but um, he. He was, he was good. Well, Quicksand went there. That's right, yeah. Shortly after that, I believe. And, was uh, Manic Impression done there? No, uh, Slip was. Slip was done there. Manic Impression was done at Fury. Slip was done at Don Fury, wasn't it? No, it's not. It might have been mixed by Don. I could look it up. But huh, I, okay. What about uh, touring with Born Against? How much did you guys get out, and what was that like? I did two tours uh, with US? my time, both U.S. Uh, one was a short West Coast. There was like a week, like a week and a bit, and then the, which was in '90, and then there was the the, the big tour, the two and a half months with Rorschach across yeah. North America, um, U.S. and Canada. We didn't do Mexico, but 
that was yeah, it was <laughs> an experience. Um, that was fun. Could though. I do that now? I don't think so. But um, yeah, I, you know, it's funny when I run into like either Keith or Charles or any of the guys. You know, some some memories just will never go away. You know, there's that's something that will last a lifetime. A yeah, it was. You know, I got to see Rorschach over over a hundred times you know throughout knowing, throughout knowing the band <laughs> on that tour alone it was like 66 shows so that's a long fucking tour yeah for the, did, it, did it essentially break Rorschach up was that uh n- I don't think so no no cause no no definitely not because they came out after they that. were in the process of writing that was Romain Protestant today, right? songs. Yeah, they were, they were yeah. writing product because this was the first bass player. It was still Chris on bass. Right. Oh, okay. It was before Tommy joined the band. So it was, um, they had been actually, I was in their van when they were, they were writing songs for the second album. So um, I saw the whole process of that and hearing them, those songs live as they were the original form, formations of those songs. Which like was, working the kinks out live. Kind yeah, of. it was great to, to see that happen. And they were just, they were a tremendous live band. Yeah, they were ferocious. Um, I mean, ridiculous honestly uh, yeah I mean, it was always sort of weird to play after them it just like felt kind of useless a bit yeah. <laughs> this musicianship was uh, actually exceeded ours by quite a bit so metal um, dudes exactly <laughs> Keith. Keith yeah well Keith yeah uh, but, he, was my, um, he was my hero for a long but, time yeah. he's not anymore jerk <laughs> just kidding he still is Keith I love jerk Keith. <laughs> but, but we had a you know, there was there was tough moments of the tour. Obviously, it was you know, it was all you know booked from a landline in Weehawken, New Jersey, and you book your own fucking life. I assume like maximum rock and roll. Kind of exactly. Yeah. Sam had actually at the time one of the first Macintosh little sort of computers that had come Ooh. out. Like back then, yeah, it was like <laughs> funny. Didn't know what a computer was. It was no. weird. This thing it was like a little box, like wow. this little boxy thing, yeah, with a little keyboard and. But uh, but all the all the calls were done on a landline. Yeah, yeah I mean, of course. And you were looking at a map. And exactly. Trying to find places. Were there other bands that did certain dates with you for like a week or a few days? Yeah, we had um, uh, on the West Coast, Downcast joined us for a bunch. And, uh, and actually even with Downcast for a bit, we had Anti-Schism oh, join us for a bit into Canada. And I come out. I think. When did this guys play ABC? Did you guys play that show? No, I don't. I don't it's hard to remember. I don't <laughs> but, think it was part of the tour. So I no, no, no. Because um, they, I, I have a feeling that they. I think they broke up in our van in Canada. <laughs> if I'm not mistaken, I. I mean, don't quote. You're quoting me, actually, but um, <laughs> I, I somehow remember that they, they, they had a huge fight in our van, like when we were in Canada somewhere, and. They may or may not have broken up. Yeah, they were good. Um, and they Did, were, were you guys? Were you guys, was, Were both bands in one van? No, no, they had their okay. own van. Um, I sometimes went in the Rorschach van just to kind of switch it up. Right. Theirs was like a more like in the back. You can kind of like stretch out a bit more. And um, I was banned after New Orleans. I was banned from their van for for quite a little while. For what? Why? Um, <laughs> Detail. Uh, that was the first, uh, in New Orleans was the first time I met Mike Williams. <laughs> so, that was a long day. so you can imagine um, hanging out in New Orleans with Mike Williams in, 
and he knew where to go for everything. Shots of tequila for seventy-five cents. Oof. And <laughs> kind of one of those things where you get back to where we were staying at, at like four in the morning. You have to leave at like seven thirty, and I woke up in really bad shape. And uh, I was out with the rhythm section of Rorschach. Uh, I think maybe Keith was out too, but um, we had played. Uh, we had played in the backyard of a voodoo bookshop with uh, I Hate God. And that's how I got to meet Mike in 1991. Wow. Yeah. That's killed. Yeah. yeah. Hey, Mike, how you doing? <laughs> if you're hearing. So, um, uh, and uh, we got on the road, and it was like New Orleans heat. It's brutally hot there, and, you know, I was awesome hungry. Angle. We get a, a bagel, bagel breakfast and orange juice when you're sort of, like, still drunk and, uh, you know, an hour and a half into your journey back in the road and like in the back in the hot van just like uh, Nick on one side Keith on the other side and I got the warning instantly it was like you better not you better not throw up like you better not throw up and you know I was no I'm alright I'm doing good I'm alright I feel I feel alright I can do this <laughs> so you know down the road it's just like, it's like you get that sort of feeling you're just like huh okay Deep breaths, deep breaths, yeah. it'll go away. I can do this, you know. It's Start like mind, mind over matter. It's like hot, it's like humid. And it had one of those vans where the window kind of opens up on a, like, kind of you just push out yeah, a bit at the bottom. Out. So, you know, the ventilation wasn't the best. And, yeah, eventually I kind of had to reach over Keith and just to, like, you know, heave out that little slot of the window oh, like, next to his legs and stuff. And obviously Keith was just like... Pull over, pull over. Where you go back to your own? Like pull over. Like you're done. Go. Like so. Yeah, I had to. Uh, Ousted by Hawkins. Yeah, exactly. Wow, so motherfucker. Yeah. So, but yeah, there was uh, tons of uh, interesting shows. You know, somewhere there were like a few hundred people. There was like three people. It was just a very varied <laughs> sort of. You know, you kind of. It's kind of a humbling experience for sure. Definitely a humbling experience. Uh, yeah. So, did you go to Europe with Born Against, or you were out? By no, then? I had out by then. Yeah. that would that would have been Brett Blue who replaced me. So, so, bring us to where you quit Born Against and why. And I uh, just um, they were writing new material. Adam was obviously writing new stuff and letting me hear it. And uh, at the time, I was, you know, Daryl and I were still kind of we were close, and obviously, Citizens Arrest were doing a lot of their thing and um, listening to a lot of the same kind of stuff, a lot of the UK heavier stuff and um, mixed in with obviously a good dose of American hardcore but it was just sort of my, my influences had been changing and obviously Adam and Adam's influences had been changing and it just, uh, it just became something that I felt like I don't know, it was an admirable thing, I just kind of just said uh i'm gonna take a bow and uh you guys do your thing man it was it was fun but i wanted to sort of maybe try and want to do other things so then what you but you didn't have that in mind what in mind at that point i not no not really i mean no actually i didn't it was (laughs) was really weird i just kind of just quit and um i needed work also okay I had um, I had returned from tour and I had no job and um, one night I was um, I was somewhere with uh, with Brendan Rafferty actually and 
Brandon knew that I needed work and um, that's SFA singer. Yeah, 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 worked at CBS for like eighteen years. Yeah, and Brandon, Brandon, obviously we had friends. Uh, we had our friend Brian, uh, this kid Brian, this guy Brian Peters, who was a manager at a nightclub, at the Palladium nightclub at that time. Brian is a Long Island. Well, he was part of, part of the Long Island punks. Um, uh, he used to know people from the insurgents and stuff. Um, Lauren and and those people. Yeah, and, um, Lauren went to high school with me actually. Yeah. So. Yeah, I'm not sure if I'm not sure if Brian was exactly from Northport, where a lot of the punks were from, but he knew a lot of those guys. And Brian had the huge, humongous Liberty spikes. But by the time he was working at the nightclub, he had he had to tone that look down. So <laughs> um, they were looking for for people. They were hiring for like barbacks and stuff. And Brendan uh, uh, sort of put the word uh, told me, and I met Brian and uh, was hired right away. And so I kind of was working the nightlife for the better part of ten years. You worked, you worked there for ten years. I worked there until it closed in '97. Yeah, I was going to say it. And then the same guy was running at the other club. So I, I, every now and then I'd work at the Limelight, and then I stayed at the Tunnel until 2000. That's when I quit. Yeah, you bet you saw a lot. Yeah, I did. <laughs> Definitely did. Uh, interesting ten years. Actually, Un- unhealthy this podcast about Mike, Michael Alley. That was like fucking pretty All right. interesting. Right? Yeah, that was more limelight, uh, which I did see a bit of it. But they um, did do shit at Tunnel, though. But way early. He was definitely, yeah. definitely limelight. Uh, yeah, that crew. But um, yeah, I mean, I worked with uh, Gavin and I worked together for quite a lot of years at the Palladium, and um, became you know, I'm obviously I'd, I had knew no Gavin for years by then, but um. You know, we became sort of really good friends working there. Like we were like sort of, you know, co-workers there, and had a lot had a lot of fun times. You know, we I definitely we did a project. Yeah, that is that is surprising. We should we yeah. should have back then. Yeah, definitely. Obviously, absolution. Get in touch with him. He's looking for people. <laughs> absolution was uh, still to this day actually one of my favorite New York. Hardcore bands. Yeah, we. I was, I was yeah. when I was jamming with them the other day. It was, we were, that we were band was that. just a force of nature. Yeah. Just to see live and stuff. It was yeah. just they were just tremendous. The recordings are good, but live. Was yeah, it was all about the live well, he, experience. With them. He was also doing things on guitar that would like, uh, like just we, he was showing me. We were jamming and we we're playing. This is Gavin Van Black of Burn, by the way. Yeah. So we're talking about Diamond Sixteen, which is one of my favorite ever. Same with Burn, but Diamond Sixteen is fucking killer. <laughs> the uh, the. Um, like he was, you know, he's using thirds. He's using like all this like stuff that you would watch him play in Burn and Absolution and Burn and like, uh, um, and it just like there was stuff that he was doing. I was I could never figure out the fuck oh, he was yeah, doing. He, he had his own style uh, for sure. Which... Totally, like he was pulling out fucking weird chords. That, like, like what the fuck? That shouldn't. What is that sound? And it was funny because he was like rewriting a part the other day when we were jamming, and and he did something, and I was like, ah, that's what you're doing. Okay, oh, it's just thirds. Okay, but it's thirds with these open strings. Okay, now I get it. Uh, sweet. I, was, I wanted to go back oh, yeah. and like, try and relearn everything. It was just like an, an experience when you just... Gavin, his signature Les Paul, when he had that sunburst Les yeah. Paul of his, and and just his 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 style is His hands just, are so thick, I don't understand how he doesn't hit like six fucking strings at once. Yeah, he's... I mean, they've probably gotten thicker since the time that you guys were working at the Palladium since, you know, he's been lifting he was weights a, for a while. He was, a, he was a beast working there. He's just... I was... Just some of the stuff that you know, uh, when we were barbacking together, he was just—he was just amazing. 
it was great. Um, uh, yeah, so I worked in those clubs for quite a quite a long time. Did you? And did Ga- you Gavin Gavin had been working in other some of the older clubs before then, uh, kind of like down the Lower East Side and stuff. Um, and also um, a bunch of like the old punk rocker dudes working at a at a club called Quick that used to be Area on Hudson Street, like like John. Um, John John was working oh, yeah, there. Yes, because it was on the same street. Yeah, it was, it was right just down the block. block. So a bunch like Roy and um, Neil guys. Burke was working there, and um, they had a pretty insane closing night. It was just carnage. Like, did you get caught up in any of the drug stuff at that time? Because obviously, it was oh for very sure, prominent. yeah, 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 definitely. It was not the healthiest period of my life, and but nothing permanent or no, detrimental. definitely not. No. Right. Okay. No, good. which is a good thing. Um, <laughs> no, it's not something I. Yeah, it is. It was a period in time, and because uh, Gavin will talk about it pretty openly. Yeah. You know, no. Like, uh, uh, yeah, I worked with him, so I. You know, we could. You know, a lot of it was just sort of, not that it was out in the open, because we'd probably lose our jobs. But you know, it was not that hard either. So. Right. You know, for a while we had. Uh, for a little while, I don't know how long he worked there, but it was very. It was pretty brief, but he was there for. Bit as Eddie Sutton worked at the Palladium, um, <laughs> maybe even Nikki X. Um, oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. Which who I sort of became reacquainted with not too long ago via social media. But um, uh, yeah, so it was. You did play, but you but you did a project. We did a few. We had Sin. Right. Uh, that that was in ninety. Time. That was yeah. That yeah, was in ninety two. Um, I had become pretty close with Al Long from Nausea. Who had been in, who had moved from New York? Who had moved to New York from Minnesota when he was uh, at, at singing in Misery, and he moved to New York, quit Misery, and uh, and then Nausea finished around after they pretty much recorded that last seven inch. They split up soon after that. I think they were by the time it came out, they, were, they had been broken up. If I, if, I think if they were broken up at that point. I think I they were broken up. Fact, yeah. So. I actually met you at a nausea show at CB's. <laughs> Funny. Probably late. It was right after you broke up. Right after you left Born Against. Right, yeah. Was, yeah. And uh, nausea, drop acid, and quicksand. Oh, oh I remember that show. Yeah. I remember that. I wasn't there. Fucking weird. Still, you know, nah, I still love nausea. Both yeah. both sort of periods of the band. Yeah, yeah me too. I, I love the whole I, yeah, there are some people who like to pick and choose, but I, I like both periods. Nah, that's fucking stupid. Like, if they did, it did get. It felt like it got more metal it did after get Amy more metal, left, but but it was, so good, but it was still care. fucking. I know good. it was after Neil left. No, I think it, they were accused of sounding metal even with Amy, but it was after yeah. Neil. Def, it was definitely a different band when Neil yeah. left and right, Al, okay, Al came yeah. in. So, um, but uh, the one thing that I'll always sort of be constant with that band is 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 Victor and his guitar is just still another one of my favorite guitar players he's just a he's an insane guitar player yeah he's great he's really good and you could tell it's Victor right. like, when you hear it yeah it's, that's killer it's, and yeah. he has a style he has a style and his, his leads um, how he just his leads and the music that was going sort of at that pace is just it was his it was his thing and you could, it, it just it was great it's interesting a lot with a lot of that crust stuff like there's these guys who just created this sound that is so particular and it's looked at as being sort of like 
no, I wouldn't say lo-fi, but just like not like a little loose, mm-hmm. you know. But it's like this just enough loose with just enough good riffage. It's like this perfect. Well, because it has like a melding. energy to it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. You it's like, it's capturing an energy that's like really interesting to me. I, I you know, I've I've always like I, mean, I want to try and write a crusty style song, and I'm yeah, like, I you, can't do it. If you <laughs> if you compare sort of like someone like Victor to like Gavin, they're just worlds apart. Both great guitar players. Um, Gavin had his sort of. I love Gavin's tone and also his sort of abstract. He's another one you recognize immediately. Yeah, his, his abstract, tone. abstract you know, way of writing. Like we had the conversation the other day about um, we somebody like, we were talking about progressive hardcore, and I was like, "There's no such thing as progressive hardcore. If it's progressive hardcore, it's not hardcore anymore." Yeah, because yeah. hardcore is one thing; it'll never change, it'll never evolve. Period. When it evolves, it becomes a different genre of music. Yeah. Well, with that logic, it's people from the hardcore scene playing. Right, so you have yes. an element of it, but you know, like, does the quicksand record sound like a fucking hardcore record? No, you know. No, it, I wouldn't say. Quicksand. I would say the burn record does a little bit. If you want to take like this sort of like progenitors of post hardcore, because there's at least there's like really fast beats and it's, it's frenetic. Parts. There's yeah, parts there. yeah, there's yeah. mosh parts, right? But like, but like, what was going on there was just so like there's like four hundred fucking parts. Yeah, I don't, so I don't think Burn's formula was. was I mean, uh, Burn has hardcore vocals. Quicksand doesn't. Right. So, I mean, that's a big part of it. But I also don't think Burns' sort of song structures were, were by the numbers, hardcore songs. No, so not at all. They were completely, totally completely different. And, yeah. um, the tempos were weird. The and, time changes were yeah. left field. Yeah. Hardcore. Uh, I mean, early Burn obviously had more sort of like, like when, because we were on that forever comp 7-inch with Burn. Yeah. And it was a much raw recording, but it was definitely like, it was definitely hard. It was like really good, like... Obviously, they, as they progress as a band, it's an you know, things change. Thing. I'll, yeah. I'll say that. It's an energy thing. Yeah. It's an energy that doesn't exist in a lot of other genres of music. And, you know, even metal. You know, you could even say, like, metal has this, like, especially stuff like Doom or other genres of, of ilk. Doesn't, it doesn't have that, that sort of chaos. The explosive. Yeah, that, well, that feeling, like, I, I always feel like, it, it, like that stuff, burn, early burn, stuff like that, always felt like it was about to fall apart, but it didn't. Yeah. It was like stayed together, had yeah, a strong exactly. rhythm section, and it's just more professional. And the en- the but energy the live, there was always the energy live. But, but both Absolution and Burn is just the en- live energy was, it was just very tremendous. Similar. Yeah, yeah, incredible. Both, but and then to the other side of the spectrum with someone like Victor, his to me his playing was just so fluid, like so like 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 flawlessly smooth. He was just like you know in that. That that signature, like his his black Fender Strat that he always had on him, and maybe one or two pedals. It was just so basic, but his sound was just so like. It's from his hands, man. Yeah, he just, yeah. he just, it was just it was just fantastic there, to watch him were, play. You know, it's it's funny. Like people don't talk about the musicianship of bands from back from that time, or or that scene. But there was a lot of guys who were just. Fuck, I mean, there were guys who influenced me, and I was coming from. At metal. least in the '80s, I was coming from metal, and like what I saw in somebody like Gavin, or somebody like Walter, or you know, like in some of the crust guys like Adam, like I saw guys that were I couldn't play metal that well, and that's what I saw with those guys. I saw guys who couldn't really play metal well, but they could fucking, but they still played well. You know, they didn't yeah. play something traditional, and it was like it was 
they were inventing shit without knowing they were inventing shit. Mm-hmm. They really were. Yeah. You know, it's and it's. They were inventing stuff or putting influences together that no one had ever thought of before. Right. Right. Well, yeah. You I mean, know, I, all the great players were taking things like you were saying, New Order. You know, which back then somebody would be like, "You fucking New Order? What? Are you kidding me?" But like <laughs> now, that's kind of normal. It's like I, I think as you get older, you develop something called taste. <laughs> and and you did, like you you were luckily you were ahead of the game on that. Where I was listening to in the eighties though because of, of relationships I had then. You know, I went to see the Cure in eighty nine at Giant Stadium. It didn't bother me to do that. You know, yeah. I mean, and I feel like like a lot of the guys like the guys who were even younger than you or older than you were like had seen the Smiths. You yeah, know, had seen like, had had that influence, which again like you know the, the Bauhaus and stuff. Uh, like yeah, that. Well, the goth stuff, of yeah. course. Yeah, I mean it. It was a. Uh, I always feel like the I never understood, especially with hardcore, this sort of like walled in idea where like that's all you're supposed to listen to and like because no. if that's all you do, like you I never I would purposely not listen to my peers because I didn't want to sound anything like them. I would go and listen to my fucking yes records like. so that I could sit, try and interpret yes into a into what was going on in my head or or like any of the like stuff when I finally got into all the Brit stuff and shoegaze and all that stuff, which was a fucking huge influence on everybody, because it was that was truly underground music at the time. Yeah, and but I agree. it was just coming from a different direction. But I know you were is, you were into like you were into a lot of that stuff, right? And I still love slow dive and all that. My bloody Valentine, totally love it. Yeah, and it, yeah, and it was a lot of noise element to it. And Bauhaus, I. I we, Bauhaus if is super I had, noisy. If I had been old yeah. enough to see Bauhaus in like '81 or '82, that's like tremendous. To yeah, they, I mean they Daniel Ash's guitar playing. He's 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 a crazy guitar player. They're he's fucking good. punk as shit. Yeah, honestly, like I, you know, at the time I remember like being, when, I was, when I was a kid, the only band I knew was like you know on 120 minutes they'd show the Bella Lugosi's Dead video. And like, I'm like, ah, whatever. And like, yeah, I'm not really that into it. Although I like the girls in the goth scene. That's cool, but they'll never talk to me. But like, when I finally did get a chance to listen to the first Bauhaus record, I was like, what the fuck is this? Oh, like, yeah. this is fucking crazy shit. And it was around the time when I got into like PIL and stuff like that. Like that period of time, in the early '80s, was you know, late like '79, '80, '81, '82. The Su- Susie, um, the Wire stuff. Like all that post-punk shit was just so fucking original. Yeah. There's nothing totally that sounded agree. like it. Nothing. Like as far as influences for me, like we were talking about that earlier, um, after sort of Born Against, my influences changed, and that you mentioned uh, Pill, is that Jaw Wobble was a big one. Became, a guy who never played bass. He became, <laughs> he became a big influence on me, yeah. As simple as he was, that was a huge influence. As he should have been. His yeah. tone was sick. Yeah. Like how that guy. There's like, a mood in his playing what, that isn't about with the notes. Well, I mean, that's PIL, yeah. just like they. It, that band is just like so fucking weird. Like oh, yeah. everything about that's it is fucking my, weird. One of my all time favorites. It's those those early records are just like. Like every huge. record is different. Like they, it, it truly is art rock, you know. Yeah. It, it like. I, I, as much as I, you know, as much as I had my bad experience with Johnny like Rotten here, <laughs> but <laughs> early Killing Joke was like that. Evil Man's a mainstream. Oh yeah, Killing Joke. I forgot Killing Joke. Of yes. course, yeah. 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 I mean, and yeah. Evil Man's went really mainstream that would never hit today. Like I'm an Adam and the Ants freak. Early Adam and the Ants is it's fucking weird. What is it? Bizarre. Yeah. Dude, we've had this conversation before. Yeah. It, Adam and the Ants is fucking weird. Yeah. When the fuck did they come up with this? Yeah. The pirates, even the sound, the whole tribal thing, like two drummers, like fucking weird. And the songs are so fucking catchy. They're so catchy. There's and, hooks. 
That's it's hooks everywhere, man. And but it's there's like, also bizarreness everywhere. It's just the whole new, new romantic thing was just fucking out in left field. And, and, you know, it's funny because, like, I, I want to know what drugs those guys were doing because it reminded me... Adam Ant didn't, though. I know that. It, well, now hopefully he's on something. But I, like, heard, <laughs> I heard the crazy story because I work, you know, in uh, with this one uh, hairstylist, this uh, hairdresser from, from England who lives... He's been living here for a long time, but he was himself a new romantic back then, and he said... It's not the guy who worked at Mudhoney. No, no, no. It's this guy, Kevin, I know, who's, who's really... You know, he kind of like, you know, when I tell him I used to you know, listen to punk and stuff, he's like, he's like, punk? Punk was a summer. Punk was a summer in 76. That's all he says. <laughs> he's like, he's a new romantic. And he said, like, those, those Adam, uh, the ant shows back then were just really violent, like crazy shows. That's so weird. Yeah, he talks wow. about that in his, uh, in his books and the early live stuff. They were, right. they were more punk musically then. Yeah. And the crowds were rough. And then as he started crowds. to get popular... People, there was a backlash against him from like the, so you know, very interesting. So, yeah, so I, jo- he wrote a book years ago. Yeah. I, I gotta fucking yeah, so, switch out. So Jaw so was an influence, and then just like that's when I started. Um, so when after like we veered off that subject, but um, I got together this project with uh, with Al called Sin, and it was at the time we had been listening to lots of you know, Godflesh and. Swans, Swans definitely, and you know, also like ball thrower and like, all that heavy UK stuff. Um, we got together uh, with this guy Eddie from Staten Island. Eddie Ortiz. Eddie Ortiz at the time was this like, really thin uh, Puerto Rican kid from from the Rock who <laughs> had total like Al Jorgensen style hair, but it was curly and. He was just like... It was before I knew him, too. Oh my yeah, we became sort of... He was, like, really funny. And then we just sort of... We just... Uh, he was heavily into hip-hop as well. And um, we just sort of... Instant friendship. You know, we became friends. And Eddie is a guitar player who's heavily into, like, the old, like, sort of Jersey death metal scene. And um, obviously, like, Morbid Angel and all that stuff. And he was... Yeah, he came up on. He's always course, been... Always has been like a, a guitar player in that vein, and uh, we just sort of decided to start this thing. And uh, we got this other guitar player from Queens, Jason, who I recently have been spoken in well over 20 years, just came back into my life out of nowhere. And uh, got a good thing or a bad thing? A good thing, yeah. yeah. It's good to hear from him. Um, I don't like to have bad things with people. Eddie went on to a ton of bands, though. Just you never so know. know. Yeah, Eddie. He was in yeah, Harley's War, Sub Zero. Yeah, so, uh, but, but at the time, so we got together and um, we had a drum machine and um, started writing a few. We only we only wrote four songs really, and recorded them in Williamsburg at the time in '92 um, at Excello Studios, which is uh, this guy Gareth Chapon, who was at Baby Monster on 14th Street, which mm-hmm. is a pretty amazing studio. It's, Brutal Truth had recorded there, and um, and uh, we recorded that for a split album with a, a UK band called Spine Wrench, which was my my boy Mid, who was in Deviated Instinct, who had broken up at the time, and he started this sort of new new band that was a little more, still kind of heavy punk influence, but had more an industrial feel to it. 
and uh, we decided to do a split together, and we recorded. And I feel like their side to this day blows ours away, but um, that side's great. It's so good. The recording is incredible on it. Yeah, so really I was when Al and I heard that we were just like, dude, <laughs> this. <laughs> Remember how he says Al speaks. Dude, it's like, why are we bothering with this? <laughs> but uh, but you know we. I think you know the recording. I th- actually our recording came out really muddy. If you listen to it now, and I've always wanted to sort of do something with it now and get it because it never came out on vinyl properly. I have a vinyl test pressing of it and oh, you do? tucked away. Yeah, it was only like, it's like five of them. Five of them made so. Um, Let's put that it, on the wall, bobs. It eventually <laughs> came out on on this weird CD by this horrible, horrible label. That label's sketchy Dutch East well. Indie, Dutch yeah. East India that you know, ripped a lot of people off. Yeah, and endlessly. Pretty much we fell victim to that. And um, they did this generic artwork that no one approved and it was just put out just to be put out. That should be reissued, actually. So, um, and that was the only... So we, we did one show. That was it. That Where? was a great show, though. Where was it? It was at the Marquee. It was at the Marquee on 21st Street. Okay. Um, I don't know who booked this show. It was kind of a thing where, hey, my, uh, who was the headliners? That was, was Punch and Stench. Punch and Stench headlined, and, and it was you and Brutal Truth. Brutal and Truth, Incantation, and 13. Wow. Which is a crazy show then and now. Yeah, so 13, 13 opened up, and then uh, we went on after. We went on second, and it was just, just really surreal being on that stage when we hadn't really properly released anything. Right. We just asked to play. I think Kevin, Kevin Sharp really is yeah, kind of a big, big first show. Cause I, we'd been hanging out with Kevin a lot and, uh, and he, he had heard us and, and obviously was dating Liz at the time and asked 13 to play. And it was weird to see 13 on that stage. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Cause they had, they had, they were playing squats and like, you know, like small little places. And, uh, both of us, you know, were thrown onto this stage that was not massive, but it was still considerably bigger than what we were, what we were used to. And I mean, that place had like what, 600, 700 people. Yeah, so it was funny just seeing Al on stage, and uh, the crowd was obviously very a very metal crowd, very death metal crowd, you know, into their gore and whatnot. And Al just, I remember him really having a dig at the crowd. Um, <laughs> Just, just saying. Uh, I don't know what all this like, this this nonsense about corpses and and blah blah blah. It's like, oh boy, yeah. insult the headlining. We're, we're, you know, we're, uh, we're 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 here to sing about real shit like this fucking city and like you know real life stuff. It's like, okay. it's just like, oh boy, it was actually really <laughs> kind of comic to think about that now and and you know people didn't know what to think about us and I you know I think it sounded all right and then that was our. Yeah, it was, it was our only our only proper show, and because yeah, me too. So soon after that, Al kind of just skipped town. He just vanished. Do you know where he is now? He's in Minnesota. He no. we know him. No, yeah, I, but he's like never on. I mean, I haven't talked to him in, in quite a while now. But he just sort of um, disappeared. Didn't didn't leave a trace. Wow. No one knew. He just sort like of sort of. Huh? Is he an investment banker now? No, definitely not. <laughs> so he he kind of left us without a singer, right? And um, I didn't realize he bailed on the band like that. I know pretty much. The city like that. Yeah, we actually even did it. That's funny because now I remember we we actually even did a video. 
Really? Yeah. Sure. I don't know if you remember Sean Donnelly. He was from Long Island. He played in. He played in. He played in thirteen. Oh, that dude! I know who he is. Yeah, he played in thirteen. He had that Zine Leviathan for a bit. Yes, I know. He uh, was going to School of Visual Arts at the time, and he was in their video department, and he had access to a to a green screen back then. Do you copy that video? I don't have one personally, but there there is one. I wonder. I'll. I'll, It was just funny because it's not on YouTube. No, definitely not. (laughs) Because you know who drove us there was Joe from Long Island in his red van. Which Joe? Joe Cicchoni. You know Joe. Joe from Northport. Oh, yes. yes. He had that red, the red old Econoline, and he used to have the, the, the PA on it. So we'd go on the highway and just go, woo, <laughs> and then pull people over and just keep going. Like. <laughs> and he, I remember so we, were, <laughs> we were smoking so much weed in the back of his, his thing. By the time we got to SVA on 20, 23rd Street, um, Al like sort of just spilled out of the thing onto the sidewalk. He's like, "How are we gonna get this done?" <laughs> and we sort of managed to do this like funny sort of video like on a green screen, which is really strange. I don't know why we agreed to it, but it was just really <laughs> odd. And we did it like a weird hour, like one in the morning too. It was like really late when we did All it too, because because yeah. Sean had access to to the studio. <laughs> so yeah, and so Eddie and I sort of Eddie Ortiz, uh, we kind of were left without sort of a band and we we sort of just that's how sort of cattle press started uh with this other guy nathan it was sort of the the foundings of of cattle press at that time and we started to write new material we didn't use any of the sin material we just kept we just went all new the thing that's the thing that sucks about Sin ending was we were supposed to record a chrome cover, which would have been great. No, uh, that would have been yeah, just later. Exactly, it was here. We were going to do Armageddon, and that would have been awesome. We didn't do it in the end, so uh, we started Cattle Press, and um, yeah, we just sort of wrote what a bunch was the of, lineup of Cattle Press? It was you me, Eddie? Eddie Ortiz, and Nathan Bennett. Um, and that lineup recorded what? That lineup recorded actually before. Actually, is weird because before we did the demo, we were on that comp. You know that double seven inch comp. Exactly the pessimizer comp. Yeah, you um, did that before the demo, actually. It's really strange. Yeah, we, we were we felt like we were confident enough to do a. a it was done on half inch tape. That's a crushing song. And we had a, we had access to a studio in uh, in Brooklyn in Ditmas Park at the time. So you did that song, and then you did the demo tape with Cattle Press. Yeah, but the demo was done with just Eddie and I. Oh, just the two of you? Yeah, on the machine. It was done on Avenue D in the Lower East Side um, in his old old apartment. Um, we just spent an afternoon there on Eddie's old um, this weird six-track tape, like analog tape machine he had, a cassette deck, basically. And we just... Uh, I, we both played our instruments, not at the same time, but we played them through his uh, Mesa Boogie combo. Like he did his guitar tracks and did all his, uh, and did some of some of the, we switched on vocals and um, and then I just plugged, uh, what was it, an Ibanez sound gear. Um, kind of just like a, at the time, it had like li- live pickups in it, like EMGs and it was like a really inexpensive bass to have with a, a really good sound. And I kind of used a, a rap pedal again, I think, and and uh, 
I think I might have been using a chorus. No, no, I wasn't using a chorus. I did eventually get a chorus pedal. Cause, uh, dangerous. <laughs> Pete, Pete Steele didn't think it was dangerous. <laughs> he used it. It sounded, sounded killer. He loved it. So we recorded the, the demo with a machine, obviously a machine again, and um, it was it was a racket, man. It's just um, we we kind of just sat sat on it for a while, and then decided just to make copies of it. There weren't a lot made, so we made some covers in the end, and uh, and just I kind of gave them out to friends, really. And it was like maybe five songs. I sang on a couple. Eddie sang on a couple, and there was an instrumental and. It was, uh, yeah, it was just, it was just, it was fun. It was, and we did one show with that original lineup at CB's, I think. There was one show, I think, I don't know. I think I saw you. I don't know if Sub Zero was on that bill and all these other weird, it was like a weird mix of bands. Um, yeah, so I think there might be an off the board recording for that, which I, I haven't, I, I would love to hear it. I think Eddie, Eddie has it. So, so yeah, um, and then yeah, yeah. We so we started to um, rehearse in this place in Red Hook at the time, or sort of Gowanus, like this weird part of uh, Brooklyn, Purple that's Light. Where, that's where I live. Yeah, it was on um, <laughs> it was on Third Avenue, and it was like it was mm-hmm. a pretty wild neighborhood. Still, like it was. My wife so, has a floral shop on Third Avenue. Oh wow, yeah. There's that's nothing true. like that. There was this one weird rehearsal studio there called Purple Light and we started playing there a bunch was it, was it by the train tracks it was sort of near near the 9th street stop yeah Yeah. okay yeah that probably became Flood Studio maybe there's, a, there's that building that's where there's a Lowe's now there's like a yeah it was, was, it was a near the Lowe's so and um, Eddie really wanted to sort of change the band like you know he wanted to get more members like obviously we, uh, a singer and then a real drummer as well so it started changing and this guy was found at this, um, they, they did get a drummer in the end, and uh, and then they got Lino to sing. So, we started, I, I started to, uh, yeah, I started, to, you know, we won't, but I started to, um, I don't know, it just the, the whole dynamic for me changed, mm. and the, the whole mood for me changed, and I, I left. So I stopped. And they went on to do, obviously, they wanted to do a bunch of, of you know, good stuff. I just, yeah. it's not, you know, it was just. Yeah, that shit's good. Yeah, it was just, a, it became a whole different beast in the it end. It sounds very different. But by, by the time they did their full length album, it was fully different. Yeah. You know, a whole oh, different heard. thing. So, it's yeah. It's definitely a different style. Yeah. Yeah. So I kind of, that's when I stopped sort of playing for a long time after that. And what year did you jump into the Kailasa thing? That was 2008. Yeah, that's a long time. <laughs> but uh, 2007, I did, was the first time I sort of played bass since Cattle Press. Because I was, uh, obviously Nathan had moved to London. Um, I lived in London for quite a long time. He was there for the better part of 12 years. And um, Was he there when you were there? No, no. Well, he was living there, yeah. So I was traveling there back and forth for work. And I had a lot of friends there. And uh, he had started a band in London called Capricorns, who were on Rise Above on Lee Dorian's label. And uh, they were about to go, they were booking a European tour for the summer of 2007. And Dean, Dean Barry, 
who used to be an Iron Monkey, um, was the Capricorns bass player. He uh, was relocating to Calgary, and he wasn't going to be able to do the tour. So they were, I was just at a pub with them drinking a beer with uh, Kevin and Kevin Williams and Nathan and Jody Cox, who was booking the tour. And he, and they were just sort of wondering what they were going to do. I was just kind of just minding my own business, really. And uh, they were talking about the bass player thing and wondering what they were going to do about that. And I'm just like taking a sip out of my beer and I feel three faces looking at me like, and they were just like, you, you're going to do it. I was like, I'm going to what? It's like, you're, you should come on tour. I was like. Did you know that music? Yeah, I mean, yeah, I did. Yeah, and Capricorns had a, a bu- quite a buzz going at that time. Like they had opened up for Neurosis. Um, they were doing sort of. Uh, I think they had played with Cathedral. Maybe they would do it through it, sort of opening up for like quite, you know considerably bigger bands and getting their first album got quite good feedback. And sort of they wanted to book this tour, so I agreed to it and. It was the first, my first sort of foray into playing since '94 after Cattle Press. It was, it was quite a. It was great. It was great. Um, it was long, also it was seven weeks. Uh, it was seven weeks in. Just diving in head first, huh? Oh yeah, Jesus. it was just like I went to London a week before the tour to rehearse with them, and I had sort of you know taken a CD back and learned everything I needed to learn. And at home, just sort of with headphones and just playing at home, and and I managed to get a big chunk of it done. And uh, it was just sort of just after so many years of being inactive, it was just really sort of it was it was quite intimidating to get back into it like that. Was it? I mean, did you find the experience to be? It was def- Was it fun to be back, or was it? It was. It was just the thing is from going from had writing songs that were sort of in the you know four or five, six minute vein to learning songs that were 12 to 13 minutes long right. was a whole nother thing for me. I couldn't even imagine. Yeah. With, uh, they didn't have a singer. It was, a com- it was an instrumental band. <laughs> but uh, tour with we toured with Lair the Minotaur who were on Southern Lord. Oh, yeah. So um, it was quite funny to, to be on tour with them. But um, yeah, just to learn all that, I went into... Uh, they shared a they shared a rehearsal space with at the time in, in East London with Orange Goblin. So, because Chris had played in Capricorns on the first album, but he the drummer, but he was not playing with them anymore, and there was a new drummer. And I went in there and had the first rehearsal. Just ran through through two or three songs, and uh, Kevin was just like, "Wow, how long did it take you to learn that?" I just did it this past week. Like, you know, I just did it like sort of in the last month. I learned pretty much the, the whole set. It was, uh, it was, it wasn't easy, but I, yeah, I just, I kind of dedicated myself to it and it got done. So well, you were committed to the tour. So yeah, I had to do it. <laughs> and, you know, some of the stuff, you know, was kind of to, to figure it out, like from, from across the ocean was right. without anybody with me was a little sort of not. The instrumental band, though, you probably had a little bit of room to Yeah. Out. Yeah, there were certain parts that were sort of definitely focused on the bass that were... Um, that's when I started using the chorus pedal in that band. Ah, okay. That's where it really sort that's of came into... Yeah. <laughs> Did they want you to stay in the band? 
Well, no, I mean, obviously. I mean, you lived in a different country, so. Yeah, that was kind of not going to work out. I mean, I did the tour and went home and even made a little bit of money. It was cool. And it was it was fun. Seeing parts of Europe that I, obviously you're on tour, so you don't see much of it, but. So that was a year before the Kailas, I think? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, that happened. That was sort of, uh, they were here and I'd sort of somehow found myself hanging out with Philip and Laura after maybe one of their shows or. And they, Philip and Laura, were, are you know older old punks as well. Like when Calista started, basically as a punk band, more of a punk band yeah. than what they became. But um, they they were big Born Against fans, and sort of needed a bass player. And I think it was sort of through that they had this thing that just asked me to, if I wanted to to be in the band for a bit, or it sort of wasn't determined. Um, it wasn't like a thing like I knew I wouldn't be forever but I kind of just agreed to it and uh, and found myself in Calessa for a year which was another different experience how many tours you did with them? plus you recorded with them two small ones yeah they weren't like long tours and that band uh, re- toured quite a lot and they toured constantly constantly in the and, days, and we used to play with them we played yeah it's real early I knew I yeah I know I couldn't I knew there was going to be a point where that was going to be an issue and it definitely um, became one yeah you it was it was their life and they were dedicated to the road and you know more power to them they it it was that band you know it was obviously that you know I had their records and stuff and well Philip's old Philip's old band. Damned. Damned. But she passed away. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Victoria's passed away, sadly. But, Damn um. Right. Yeah, I, I, I remember it was booked, and then they canceled, I assume, because of her illness, yeah. which I wasn't aware of at the time. And then. See, they. I saw Damned when they came through a few times, but they'd be seeing stuff. I did two tours with them. Um, they were, like, sort of, like, two, like, two week, two, three week tours, like, smaller ones, um, which were fine. Just, you know, they were based in, in Savannah, so it was kind of. For them, it was easier to sort of take time off, and the overhead isn't as high That's in Savannah. Yeah, so for yeah. me to have to go to have to go to Georgia to either rehearse and and record uh, just became an, it became an expense, and I had to, I have to pay rent here. It's just you can't. For me, it was hard to sort of. But you played on the one record. Yeah, I did. I did. We recorded in 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 South Carolina, where Philip is was working as an engineer. And so we we picked a slot of a week or so and uh, recorded Static Tensions. It was a uh, it was. You tour after the record or before? I think I did one tour, the one with Oddly Pinback afterwards. I remember that tour. It's a weird combo. Yeah, well, that's what Pinback wants. Uh, Rob Crow was into. They would do they would do like a full tour, It'd be like a couple of months or whatever, and they would get openers like they would switch them up every two or three weeks. So they've had like metal acts, hip hop acts, like he, always yeah. So he always had the different genres opening up for them. But it was, uh, it was they were really supportive and um, a great bunch of guys. And I got to meet. Uh, they had uh, Braden, Braden playing. Braden Diot, who played in Tarantula Hawk, was playing with Pinback. Oh really? Yeah, he was playing as sort of, yeah. Yeah, and Braden was a really awesome guy, and um, it was great to tour with him. 
so we got to open up for a really different audience, which is, you know, what they want, basically. Yeah, of course. How do you go over with, like, lack of a better term, a more of an indie rock kind of a... I think it would... It, I think, you know, some places it was more difficult, but other places people were responsive to it. And we played places like Athens, Athens, Georgia, which was pretty cool. You know, obviously it's a really music... It's a small city, but it's, like, very music-oriented and... I think, you know, I enjoyed doing it. The other tour we did was with uh, that German band, The Ocean. Oh, yeah. Really technical, really technical. Uh, mm -hmm. Yeah, they, those guys. That's a more natural fit. They rented, like, his crazy RV for the, the you know, I don't think they made any money. I think they lost money on that one, but. Oh, I'm sure. They, yeah, they, they went all out. But they were comfortable. <laughs> eh, yeah, I don't know. I think halfway. I think you know, seeing their faces, facial expressions, like you know, they were hemorrhaging money with that thing. So, but yeah, it was. It was. You know, I I could only do my that year with them, and I just you know they were already planning to do like another long. I just it was just too it was too much. So on that note, we're almost at two hours, and <laughs> okay, shocking. I know. Yeah. Um, and uh, I have to actually go because I okay. have to sit in traffic and, to pick no up my problem. Um, but is there anything you want to plug? Anything like work-wise or anything? Uh, no, on the work-wise, I'm just doing my photography and uh, quite enjoying that. And uh, I have other sort of ventures I want to pursue uh, not related to that. Um, some music stuff, some other like things like business I want to start. And um, I definitely want to get not back in. Not stuff that's official yet that you want to talk about? Yeah, not yet. Um yeah, but I it, and it's not going to be for like really touring out or anything. Just yeah, just for so recording. I've been asked to, to play bass and some other more punk things. Uh, you mentioned one to me a few weeks. Yeah, so I might you know help someone out with that, and it might be fun. I think it'll be fun. I think it should be fun because um, recently I went on stage with Page Ninety Nine, mm -hmm. who I didn't wasn't wasn't too familiar with, but um, really really awesome guys and. Had a lot of fun, and actually, um, you know, there's a possibility of actually. I will say, I, you know, Mike Taylor, the guitar player, has has expressed interest and in wanted to maybe like jam. So cool. that could be something fun, and then something out in the West Coast that I I, I don't want to really say much about yet. And, and then there's other stuff that sort of, you know, I, I'm I'm just trying to survive in New York right now. It's a, you know, it's a yeah. it's a different city now. So we know we're just all trying to adapt, but um. Exactly. I know we we all we all express our frustrations and stuff, and it's just a part of of, of being like here. Exactly. So, well, but thank I, you I, very much for giving us a second chance. Yeah, man. Uh, I, and it's sort of a it definitely was a different interview, but um, but it was fun nonetheless. I remember the first one. Artie probably knows it better than me. No, I was drunk. So no, you? I, you're the only one I, remember. I mean, the first one was great because Johnny Stipp was like, oh, you yeah, know, Johnny right Stipp. next to me, and uh, the stories in there, yeah. yeah, yeah so it was kind of fun to hear. Mexicans. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, there was some, there was some fucked up shit. There, yeah, exactly. Actually. Yeah, John. I remember sitting shit. there going, "That's gonna have to be edited out." <laughs> we kept looking at each other, but then I was like, "It's Johnny Stipp, so no one like he can kind of say it." Johnny Minkia, hey Johnny Minkia, we love you over here. Okay, guy. Story to end this. So, so Aranzi Pazuzu. Right, I, I had to, I had Johnny picking them up at a hotel in great Times band, Square. great band, awesome band. And but I was so afraid of that dynamic that I went there to make sure everything would be okay. And so I can already understand why we got to the hotel and like 
and I'm like, I'm sitting at the bar waiting because I got there early. I, I, I drink and I'm, and I go, I, I find Johnny. I see the band. It's obvious who the band are in this hotel, and uh, and they like take what they talk to Johnny. I, I walk outside and the tour manager is talking to Johnny without me being there. And I'm like, oh no. The guy's just like, we're gonna take cabs. But but they were like, but there was one guy that they sent with him. <laughs> and he gets in the van with them, and it's just me in the back with all these road cases, frantically trying to get this fucking keyboard for that that had gotten uh, <laughs> held up or lost in in, in, in uh, transit. transit. And and uh, we're going through the city, and he's like, he's yelling at girls, he's yelling at like <laughs> this kid looked like his fucking. He was like, huh. <laughs> he didn't know whether to laugh or like be like, "What the fuck?" And I was like, "I was like, don't worry about it, dude. Just roll with it. It's cool. It'll be fun." And it was so funny. And he was like, "He's like, we got out." And I was like, well, "What'd you think?" He's like, "Oh, he's a real interesting guy." Yeah, I, was like, I, I, can't, I can't. Honestly, I can't repeat the shit he said, but it was fucking brilliant. Johnny's Johnny Stiff, New York legend. New York fucking legend. You were loved. <laughs> you are feel the yeah, love, Johnny. I love that guy. We love you. Thanks, you Thank you guys. I'd like to thank Javier for coming and hanging out with Ron and I. It was a good time. A second shot. Uh, this is the Automatic Crowd, the St. Vitus Bar podcast. You can subscribe at iTunes. Leave us a review. You can go to Stitcher. You can get us on SoundCloud. You can just come on down to St. Vitus and see a show, drink some beers, hang out with us. Um, hope everybody is good, and thanks for listening. Peace the fuck out.